get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Yes, we still would like to add additional bullpen arms. You know, clearly we want to go into camp with a little more depth than what we had last year. I would also say that, you know, we're, we're still a little bit uncertain on what the rules are going to look like. So will there be a DH or not? Obviously, if there's a chance to add a different type of hitter between now and the time we get to camp is something that we should be considering as well. So, I mean, really, I think the way we're going to look at the remaining time here is is just be open-minded. Or just be patient, depending on how you want to phrase it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Mosaloc yesterday in the Stephen Matz press conference announcing his four-year, $44 million deal. Stephen Matz will do show coming up at 1245. <laughs> the new Cardinal starting pitcher. Yippee. Alex, what do you think they're going to do? Because as I heard... John exactly Mosley what they did yesterday. yesterday. Nothing. Okay. Well, as I heard John Mosley lock yesterday. press conference yesterday. I thought to myself, I think they've got something else coming. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's going to be anything significant. Mo did seem a little giddy in that press conference. I, I got. giggle? I got the vibes. I think he did. He's going to do something of substance in the next 24 hours. Carlos Correa, $300 million. We'll get to deal. him here in a second. Oh. Here was what John Mosaylock had to say about continuing to sign or at least trying to sign players prior to this self-imposed deadline by baseball. With with this deadline looming, a lot of uh, teams, players, and agents are trying to get things done. So, yes, it wouldn't surprise me. Then you ask me where we stand in all of this. It's hard to say. Um, You know, we have some offers out there. We'll see where if they land or not. And, you know, we're going to, like I told you or said earlier, we're going to continue to try to you know, beef up our club as best we can. Um, if the clock strikes midnight and we haven't done so, well, we more time on the other end. Uh, the Cardinals way. Try and sign free agents, and when the clock strikes midnight, you put your hands up and you say, well, boys, we gave it our best shot. But ah. then there's another opportunity. This is different than, of course, the Cinderella story where the clock strikes midnight and it's over. Uh, Cinderella got the prince. This is like the ugly stepsister in Cinderella. No, 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 no. I get feel- Nothing. Nothing. Alright, I feel like this is more of a Beauty and the Beast situation where the Beast turns into the Prince. No, 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 it's gonna be great, man. Spoiler alert, by the way. The teapot becomes a. Lumiere becomes a Prince. It's all fine. It all, right. all worked out well. Getting out of the Disney references for a moment, I think the Cardinals are gonna do something, Alex. The question is, what are they gonna add relievers? It sounds like Luis Garcia might be heading to the San Diego Padres. Are they gonna sign another big bat? What? Yeah, it's true. Luis Garcia? 
It's true. This bullpen's done. It's oh, over. Oh, no. Are they going to sign a big bat? Are they going to go sign another starter, All which right, I know other people have been interested here. in? What are you bat. expecting this team to do over the next 24 hours? I am being realistic. I think they're looking at the bats. I think that's the next step you're going towards right now. Bullpen help, of course, but I think bullpen help can be gotten easy enough for this team. It's just a matter of circling back and being okay with giving them the extra million or $2 million that they want or the extra year on top of it. I think right now, my opinion here, you're going after the bat because they're starting to dwindle. We've seen Corey Seager come off the board. We've seen Marcus Simeon come off the board. We've seen Javier Baez come off the board. There's a couple of guys out there still. If you're going to go the shortstop route, you got Carlos Correa. You got Trevor Story. If you're going to go just the bat route, you have Kyle Schwarber, who's been connected to some teams. I would imagine that the Cardinals are doing their due diligence, quote unquote, trying to sign one of these big bats. And if they can get it done for the team friendly deal that they're hoping for, then they'll do it. But if not, that's when they're just going to stand pat. I don't know if they're going to go relievers until post deadline, post lockout. That's that's where I feel like then they'll swoop in and start getting those arms. I think they're going to look at the try and get a deal done with a reliever before this deadline hits because I we're not hearing any sort of connections to the Cardinals and any of the bats on the market. Ah, uh, contrary. How yeah. about this from Ken Rosenthal, Hashtag. which I literally just pulled up seconds ago. Which team will sign Carlos Correa? What does his market look like? Now, I'm not going to say that he said they're definitely going to do it, but he said, which team will it be? The Cardinals, who could displace Paul DeYoung, would be an excellent fit. Uh-oh. But would they add a third high-priced position player to go along with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt? You're damn right they will. I, guys, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Well, of like, course you do. I'll, I'll go ahead and say I think they should sign Carlos Correa. Well, they ain't going to do it. I'll like, go ahead and say it. I think they should trade for Mike Trout. I'll look into my crystal ball and tell you. I don't see Correa in your future. Well, Derek Gould seems to agree with you. According to him, quote, elsewhere in the marketplace, the Cardinals have told inquiring teams they see Paul DeYoung as their starter at shortstop for 2022 with Edmundo Sosa as the challenger for the job in spring training. That is according to Derek Gould's Ferrario, sources. There's your, there's as, your ugly stepsister. As the great Mike, Michael Scott once said. No, God, please, no, no, no. Yeah. I am curious to see what the market looks like for Carlos Correa. I legitimately don't know who's going to sign him now. I thought it was going to be the the Tigers. I don't think that the Yankees are going to go that route. Uh, It sounds like they're at least interested in Texas has a shortstop that's close to the big leagues, and they're calling on him as a potential trade candidate. Uh, Andrelton Simmons has been connected with them. I think the Cardinals should call them about Paul DeYoung, frankly. I think he would make a lot of sense for uh, the Yankees if they just want a defender at short because they've got so many other big bats in that lineup. I don't think they're going to be the landing spot. I don't think the Dodgers are going to go that route. They have a ton of questions right now, as we talked about yesterday, with their rotation, and it sounds like they're at least interested in Freddie Freeman and they want a left-handed bat to put into their lineup. I I don't know where he's going to go. He's going to get $300 million somewhere. It's probably going to be a mystery team that has not been connected to him thus far, but the teams that we early on heard about him were Detroit and Texas. And now both of them have their shortstops already. I think Seattle's where Correa is going to end up going. And, And the reason to me, he makes sense is because we had heard a lot of rumors that they liked Simeon. Now, granted, they believe that they have, I think it's is it J.P. Crawford that's there, mm-hmm. that they believe is their shortstop. He, they told him, hey, look, you're going to be playing short. 
if you're getting Carlos Correa, you're not moving Correa to second. You you can move Crawford to second or play him at DH. I to me, Seattle makes so much sense. They're rumored to be in the Simeon deal, play him at second base, which is what the Rangers are going to do with him. And they have a history of being willing to sign a guy to three hundred million plus deal. Let's not forget Robinson Cano did not sign a three hundred million dollar deal with the Mets. He originally signed that with the Mariners, and they got out of it because it was a terrible deal. Does that kind of pull them away from that market? Maybe, but I think they realize that they need an impact bat. They got their impact starter and Ray. I think they're going to be the ones that sign Correa, and that leaves Trevor's story, in which I have legitimately no idea what his market is, where he goes. Seattle's going and going to go after Trevor's story because of the reason you just said. That makes sense to me. They don't have to do what they did with Robinson Cano and get into a bad situation. They can sign Trevor's story for four years. I think he's getting six and 140. I I think the market was set for him yesterday with Javi Baez signing that six years, $140 million deal. That's going to be better than Carlos Correa for Seattle. So I, I just don't see Seattle being that team that drops 300 mil. I still see the Yankees and the Red Sox as being legitimate threats. I wonder what the Angels are going to do because I know they need pitching, but you add another bat to that team, that's that's a, that's a dangerous team, especially you after... You never count them out on a big money deal. Not at all. And look, I, I know it seems crazy. Send the You're an Idiot text at 65780 or Air Comfort Service text line. Just make sure you write BK in front of it. I, I think Carlos Correa is a legitimate option still. And I know Here? you're... Yeah. And I know you're not going to drop... You don't want to drop that amount of money I think it's more likely they sign Correa than Story at this point. Like, I, I know I'm flailing Guys, in the wind. what has happened in the last 24 hours? My wife made my coffee this morning, so she might have spiked it with something. I'm not sure, but I'm actually legitimately believing the Carlos Correa scenario. So the reason why I say it's more likely they go Correa than Story is because I don't think that they are going to extend themselves to the point where I don't. You can disagree with this, and I think I would. I don't know if they view Story as a significant upgrade on Paul DeYoung. And if you don't view him as a massive upgrade, if you think that you're getting similar defense, maybe a little bit worse, and the power is not all that dissimilar, and you think maybe you can get Paul DeYoung to get back to closer to where he was in 2018, 2019, I could at least listen to that argument. I would disagree with it, but I understand that point of view. You cannot make an argument that Paul DeYoung is similar to Carlos Correa in any way, shape, or form. They are not similar players. Carlos Correa is legitimately one of the, what, 10 best players in the sport? ish something something like that yeah it's a legit 300 hitter that's going to hit 25 to 30 bombs every year he's going to drive in close to 100 and he's going to be the face of your franchise for the next decade oh and by the way he's 27 years old Correa is the type of player that you extend yourself for this is the Bryce Harper this is the Manny Machado this is when they got in on David Price before he broke down and everything this is that I, I I think it's unlikely. I don't view them as being the team that's going to go do this. But if they were going to make a big signing this offseason, I think the last name that makes sense, talking six plus years, the last one that makes sense to me is Carlos Correa. I think Javi Baez might have made some sense in another world. Obviously, they decided not to do that. I think Carlos Correa is the last one that is out there. That and makes see, sense. I think with the bat situation, I think it's shortstop or bust now. Because the way that it sure seems it's going, Kyle Schwarber seems like it's off the list for the Cardinals because they have Gorman and Yepes who fit that role. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's what they at least view it as. And Castellanos is going to be getting seven years, and I don't see the Cardinals giving that to him. So it's you want to bat, you got to go this or nothing. And I just can't, I can't believe that the Cardinals are going to go into this offseason or come out of this offseason and say, we added a pitcher, we have the same offense, we'll be good, let's go. I think that you are going to be waiting for the bat until after this dead period. 
I think they're gonna I think they're gonna be patient on that side of things. If they make a move today, if by the end of the day today, whether it be our show, the fast lane, or even after we get off of the air completely, I think if they sign a reliever or two. I think those are the moves that I would expect today if they make one. And then the the big money moves, if they're going to go at that route, I think that happens in February or March going into spring training. I agree. I, I don't know if they sign two relievers. I don't even know if they sign one reliever. I think they're going to do all of the signing after all of this. I think they got what they wanted, and they're going to say, well, we efforted a lot of free agents. I, I think they'll sign a reliever today. I, I'm still not sold that they're bringing in a big bat. This feels like the year they're going to say we're going to let the kids give them a shot, and then we'll go from there. That's how it appears to me. How would you guys feel about the offseason if they don't go the shortstop route, if they don't end up getting Schwarber, they don't get a big bat? You finish the offseason, and it's a couple of relievers, and I'm projecting us into March. It's a couple of relievers, and it's Steven Matz. And that's all they did in the offseason. They got Joe Kelly. Um, who's your favorite reliever on the market, Tanner? Guy that Probably you would Joe, like. Joe who's your Kelly's second favorite one. reliever? Oh, really? Joe well, Kelly. Luis Garcia. Those are my two. But who's it sounds like he's third. Who's your third, buddy? I don't know if I Let's keep going down this list Corey here. Corey Knable, but it, didn't he sign yesterday? Uh, he's interested in signing somewhere else as well. Oh, Mark Melanson. He's my next. Mark Melanson. They signed Mark Melanson and Joe Kelly and Steven Matz. How do you feel about that? Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Tanner, how do you feel about it? I'm kind of with Alex. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a, if I graded the offseason, I'd give it. I'd give it a B. Way to go. If you add in a bat and take off Melanson. Let's go. Well, wait, he didn't say an impact bat. He just said a oh, bat. You thinking, are you like thinking Colin what's Moran. his face? Are you thinking, oh, I like Colin Moran. I Let's go. Are you thinking your guy, Duffy? Josh Harrison? No. God, no. <laughs> He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner no. Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 11-15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Blues. Some big news today. It looks like Tyler Bozak is going to be on the COVID-19 list. So the Blues, once again, dealing with some COVID issues. We'll talk about that at 11-30, how they end up making up for his loss. Also, what do you do with Marco Scandella right now? It sounds like he might be a healthy scratch for the Blues tonight. What do you do with that deal? There's still multiple years left on it. We'll talk about all of that coming up at 1130. But next, Phil Regan, 13-year MLB pitching career, has coached baseball for the last 50 years. And oh, by the way, spent a bunch of time with Stephen Matz in the Mets system. We'll talk to him about what the Cardinals are acquiring in Stephen Matz next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals made some big news yesterday, officially announcing the four-year, $44 million contract with Steven Matz, the new Cardinals starting pitcher, and a man that has spent quite a bit of time with Steven Matz in the New York Mets system is Phil Regan. He was their pitching coach back in 2019. He spent a bunch of time in their system as well. He's coached baseball for about 50 years. Phil Regan joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Phil, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today how are you doing my friend well i'm doing very well i'm down here in the dominican republic i'm the pitching coach for the toros of la romana and uh we have we have about a two-hour difference in, in time but we don't change times so over here in the dominican so uh still involved in baseball and uh uh we're going over to play in santa domingo today and uh we need a win <laughs> i'm going to the dominican for my uh, honeymoon here in about two weeks or so how's the weather down there right now it's beautiful are you coming to casa de campo i'm doing going to punta cana 
Ah, Punta Cana. I'm, I'm staying at Casa de Campo. We've got four beautiful golf courses here. The weather's beautiful. It's right on the water. It's really, it's really nice. The weather's beautiful right now. Phil, I'm getting on an airplane right now because I want to go check out these golf courses that you're talking about. How much time are you spending on the courses this, these days? Well, we we usually play uh, four. Uh, we play baseball four times a week, and then we have mon- usually Mondays and Thursdays off. And uh, most of the time, you can find me at the golf course on those days. Uh, so a couple times, a couple three times a week, I play. That's awesome. Phil Regan is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He Mets pitching coach back in 2019. Spent a bunch of time with Steven Matz in the Mets system as well. Uh, Phil, I wanted to ask you about Steven Matz and what kind of pitcher the Cardinals are acquiring because it seems like the perfect fit from the outside looking in. He's a guy that throws strikes. He uses the defense behind him. The Cardinals had five gold glovers last year. Uh, what do you think about the fit between Steven Matz and this Cardinals defense behind him? Well, it's it's amazing you asked me that because about uh, three days ago I, I talked to Stephen Matz, and him and I have been pretty close uh, uh, ever since he pitched for me in Port St. Louis and followed him up through the system. And then in 2019 he won 11 games for us there in New York. And then the next year with the COVID, and of course he didn't he didn't win a game, and uh, and they they let him they made a trade for him to uh, to uh, Toronto, and where he won 14 games. But I, I think it's a perfect fit for him. Uh, Stephen is a is a tremendous person. Uh, you'll never have a problem with him. He's polite. Uh, he, he's very uh, you know he's very diligent about his work. He's come up with Degrom, and Degrom probably has one of the best routines I think of any pitcher I've seen. And Matz has kind of copied that along and followed the, uh, that routine. Uh, he's got, he's got a fastball, nice delivery. First of all, he's. He's a, he'll throw 90, 95 to 97 miles an hour with his fastball. Uh, he, he can he can tail the ball away. He's got a pretty good slider, quick slider. Uh, got a very good changeup and a, and a and a nice curveball. So you're you're getting a pitcher that that knows how to pitch. Uh, he's pitched in New York and under the big and I and I I told him exactly what you said. I think it's a perfect fit for for him uh, to be in St. Louis. Uh, I, I know the area. I, you know, I was with the Cubs all these years. Went down and played the Cardinals, and and uh, it's. I think it's a perfect fit for him. They're, they're, you're going to catch the ball for him, and uh, he's he's. You're, you're going to like this kid a lot. He's he's like I say, he's a very humble kid, and uh, he does his work. Just hearing him talk yesterday, Phil, we already know that he's going to fit very well in St. Louis. The one thing I found fascinating about you working with Steven Matz, I was reading an article last night, and it talked about how you worked with him on the mental game just as much as the physical game. Uh, can you go a little bit deeper with that, Phil, on, on the importance of the mental game for Steven? Well, it's it's important. I, I work a lot on, on you know, it's, I, I'm a little bitter. I'm, I'm old school. You know, I'm old school. I come from the old school, so I try to get – I try to get into my pitcher's heads, and and like I say, I had him when he was in St. Lucie in Class A, and uh, we we spent a lot of time together, and and just talking about, you know, you have to take charge when you're on the mound. Uh, also, uh, I, I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, there, there was we have a psychiatrist, of course, and mental skills coach they call him now, and uh, we held a meeting. Uh, he did with the coach, and he said, "Now I want to tell you what I want you to do." He said. This is what how you handle your pitchers. When they get on the dirt part of the mound, that's their battleground. And when they get into into battle, uh, every every soldier they give a week off of rest and relaxation. So when your pitcher gets into trouble, you have him back off that dirt and get into the grass. And I and I started laughing a little bit. He said, "Why are you laughing?" I said, "Because about 
50 years ago when I was with the Tigers, I had an old coach by the name of Schoolboy Rowe from Arkansas, and they called him Schoolboy because he, I think he had an eighth-grade education. And the first day when I was in Tigertown, he told me, he said, listen, when you get into Detroit and you're in trouble with the bases loaded, you walk off the mound, get off in the grass, look up in the center field, clear your mind, and then get back up on the mound and get him. I said, he, he didn't have a degree, <laughs> but that, that's the mental part of that. And the guy said, okay, I understand now why you're laughing. But baseball, baseball doesn't change a lot. There's a lot of changes in it, but you still have to relax on the mound. You have to be mentally prepared and uh, by backing off and not going harder and harder and harder, but backing off. And uh, we spent a lot of time. Uh, I used to put a quote up on the board for him every day, and, and he'd, he would send it back to me. As he went up the ladder, he'd send quotes back to me that I had told him. So he took him to heart, and uh, you're, you're going to like him. He's, he's going to be a good one for you. Final couple of minutes here with Phil Regan on 101 ESPN. Mets pitching coach in 2019. He's been a baseball coach for the last 50 years. He knows a thing or two about pitching. Uh, Phil, I did want to ask you about the upside that the Cardinals could get in Steven Matz because you look at the numbers. I mean, the last four years, really, in, in terms of the full seasons, he's been remarkably consistent, right around a four ERA, 150 to 160 innings. I know when he came up, probably when you were working with him down at the lower levels, he was viewed as a guy that could be, I mean, an all-star type of pitcher do you think he still got that in there does he have that kind of upside for the cardinals now he, he definitely has that upside and i'll, I'll tell you what, what i see in, in steven when he's going good uh a, a year ago when when he didn't win a game he called me and he came down and spent a week with me down in Port st Lucie, and we worked back on his delivery and one of the things he has is, is in today's game they want you to throw hard so he was trying to throw harder than he really could. I said, you know, see, you throw hard enough. 96, 97, 95 is hard enough. And so as he tried to throw harder, he kept falling off and, and, and uh, falling to third base and dropping his arm down a little bit. So we got him back over the ball. The ball tails away. His curveball came back. His changeup was outstanding. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I think it, it, that's a big key for him, not to try to throw harder than he can throw, uh, make sure he stays consistently over the ball, uh, keeps the ball down. He's going to get a lot of ground ball. He's going to strike out a few people uh, and because he's got that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I think you're just you're getting a, a, per, a, a perfect match for uh, Stevens going to be down there in St. Louis. Phil, we'll get I you think out. You're really going to like him. We'll get you out of here on this. And my apologies there. We're having Stephen Matz That's on it. the show coming up here in about two hours or about an hour, excuse me, from now. Is there anything you think we should ask him about? Is there is there an anecdote that you can remember that you think would be a good story that we should ask him about? What should we make sure we ask Stephen coming yeah, up at twelve forty five? Yeah, I can tell you because I I talked to him a couple years ago, a couple uh, about four or five days ago, and he knew I was, down, I was down here in the Dominican. I said, "Congratulations, Steve, on your contract. I'm looking for a good left-handed starter down here." And he said, "Well, I have some things in my contract where I have to pitch more innings." And I get more money, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the Cardinals if I can come down and pitch for you. Those uh, innings in the DR would 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 count towards his contract. <laughs> we'll make sure to ask him. We'll about find that. out if he's headed down. I don't know if those incentives hit for the DR league, but maybe maybe the winter league counts towards him. 
And I tell you what, so, Phil, anyway, if he comes you're, you're good. if he comes to the Dominican, I'm coming with him and we're hitting the golf course. <laughs> we're coming in a suitcase. It'll yeah. be great. Hey, hey. Bring, bring him with you and come down here. I can use him right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's Phil Regan, uh, Mets pitching coach back in 2019. Spent a ton of time with Steven Matz in the Mets system as well. Phil, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and your team okay. down there in the DR. We'll talk with you again soon. All right. Uh, thanks for having me. Bye. Absolutely. That's Phil Regan joining us here on 101 ESPN. I I love talking to guys that have been in the game as long as Phil has. First of all, just because of the insight that they're able to give with guys like Schoolboy, who was his pitching coach. Because he didn't graduate the eighth grade. That's incredible. Um, I, I really do think I was talking to, about this with Tanner off of the air uh, during the Danny Mac show, Alex. I think there might be more upside in Steven Matz even than I gave it credit for. I know, we all, I know we all had the good fun with the, the uh, Sub two ERA. I think that's maybe a little out there. I looked up the numbers for Lance Lynn compared to Steven Matz over the last few years. It's honestly kind of surprising how similar they were, especially last year. Last year, if you look exclusively at the ERA, there's no contest. It was 2-7 for Lance Lynn. It was 3-8 for Steven Matz. Those guys aren't, aren't similar. If you look at some of the underlying numbers, though, Alex, it's pretty darn close, man. And if... If you're able to get anything resembling what Lance Lynn has been the last few years for both Texas and then last year with Chicago, I mean, you're talking about a possible all-star pitcher. He could be a legit number two, number three starter for you. If that's the case, then that's a steal because there's guys that are being paid $20 million this offseason that might not have seasons like that. And if you can get that from an $11 million pitcher... I mean, you're you're going to be winning this offseason just from that place alone. I, I do hope that it turns out to be like what Miles Michaelis was in his first year. I, no joke, I literally just looked up what Miles Michaelis did back in 2018. Do you guys think it's crazy to think that Steven Matz could start 32 games? At, these are these are the numbers that Michaelis put up that you're you're referencing there, Alex. 32 starts, 200 innings, a 2.9 ERA. Yeah. Especially if there's incentives for the more innings that he pitches. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you see 175, 180 innings pitched. And I do think that you're going to be looking at somebody who could be around three or lower ERA. I think if if all things work out the way that they're supposed to, Steven Matz could be looking at the year that Miles Michaelis had his first year. Only this time, you're hoping that it's longevity to where it lasts the four seasons that he's under contract. Yeah, yeah I think he absolutely could do that. And I, I think 170, 180 is... <clears throat> kind of my expectation heading into the year. I don't think that's a long shot. I think that's about what I expect from him. And what'd you say his ERA was? Mike was two point two point eight five that year. Yeah, he I was don't in know the Cy Young conversation. He I don't know if he'll have Cy Young voting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll have that kind of ERA. I still expect his ERA to be around three five. That's just kind of my expectation. I wonder with his defense though, man. It, like I'm not saying anything about defense the quality like- of his pitching. I think this defense can take your ERA down at least a half a point. That's what I was going to say. I say I guarantee this defense can take it down a half a point as long as everyone stays healthy. I mean, we saw it with John Lester and Jay Happ, dude. I mean, we, we saw with, Blanc was we saw good it for with this John Gant in the first oh. week of the season. I don't need the attitude with the Wade LeBlanc. I'm serious though. Like John Lester, his last what six starts for the team was really good. Uh, Jay Happ was really solid for the Cardinals last year. I mean, John. Let, let's put it this way. John Lester, during his time with Washington last year, 5.0 ERA. In his time with the Cardinals, it went down to a 4.4 ERA. He was not meaningfully different as a pitcher. It was the same here, basically, as it was back in Washington. 
and yet his ERA went down 0.7. I think you could see something like that T-Bone. from Stephen Matz. Get on board the hype train, baby. Oh, About I'm to on take bo- off hey, the station. Hey, whoop, whoop. I wanted to sign Stephen Matz in the offseason. No, right, you didn't. Much right this away. was BK yes, and I's idea no, from the start. Not. This was our idea from the start. No, 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 it wasn't Ferrario's idea. I can't believe you're taking Stephen Matz away from me. With Alex Ferrario <laughs> and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, what do the Blues do with Marco Scandella? I didn't think he was going to be in the lineup tonight until Tyler Bozak went on the COVID list. And now it sounds like he's probably going to be doesn't change the fact that he's still got two years left on his contract and he was expected to be a healthy scratch tonight. What do you do with that guy? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the car shield studio on 101 ESPN. Well, Scandi and Perenko have played some real good hockey for us. Uh, but it's felt fallen off lately, and they got to get back to it. That's the bottom line. We need those guys to be real solid uh, for us defensively, and uh, and they will be. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Craig Berube a couple of weeks ago talking about Marco Scandella and Colton Pareko and how they have played together. Here's Craig Berube today, Alex, talking about Colton Pareko with. Nico Mikola, who's his new partner in the pairings. He said, quote, Mikola has played well. His aggressiveness is really coming through. He breaks up a lot of plays with his aggressiveness and his stick. I've liked Mikola so far. I think they've been a pretty good pair, end quote. Unfortunately, what he said where he thought that Scandalo was going to start playing better with Pareko, it just hasn't happened. And tonight, before the news that Tyler Bozak was placed on the COVID, uh, COVID list, it looked like Marco Scandella was in line to be a healthy scratch for the Blues. Alex, how do they get him back on track? Because this is not just a 2021 issue. This is a problem for the next couple of seasons if they are not able to. He's owed $3.2 million per year each of the next two years after this season. What happened here? I don't know what happened here. BK, honestly, I don't. I mean, Marco Scandella started things off, I mean, deservingly getting an extension when he came over. I think the team was 7-0 and when he was acquired in trade, and he and Colton Pareko looked like a shutdown pair. It honestly did look like what Pareko and Bomeister looked like, only Scandella brought some physicality. I think the only thing that I can come up with of why this has turned the other direction is, one, Marco Scandella is being relied upon more than what he was when he was originally acquired. Because remember, at the time, they had Alex Petrangelo. They had Colton Pareko. They had Justin Falk. Those three guys are eating at least 20 minutes a night. So if you're playing Colton Pareko and Marco Scandella as the shutdown pair at the time when they were at their best, you're only looking at probably Marco Scandella. And I'd have to look at what the numbers are, but you're probably looking at three or four minutes less averaging per game of time on ice than what he is this season. It's actually surprisingly similar. I I would have assumed the same thing as you. I I wanted to go back to look at it. He was right at about 20 minutes per game when he came over in the 2020 season. And he's at 18 and a half this year. So he's actually a little below in terms of the time on ice this year. And the other thing I would would be interested in what that looks like is what were his splits? Did he play a lot of penalty kill time or did he just play at five on five? Because at that time, remember, you have three guys who eat a lot of penalty kill minutes and Petrangelo, Pareko and Justin Falk. That's the one thing that I think I've noticed with Marco Scandella as the problems that he becomes is 
plays that get mixed up in the neutral zone. And I think some of this does go into just mixing up the defensive pairing so much. He hasn't been with one consistent guy. At the start of the season when they were 5-0, and oh, it was Pareko and Scandella every single night. And now it's just been flopping around. The problem is when you look at deeper into the numbers, his expected goals against on this team is third highest. It's like 16.7%. The other two guys that are higher than him are Colton Pareko and Justin Falk. But here's the difference. They've played probably about, I don't know, close to 90 more minutes so far in total this season than Pareko and Falk. So having it that high when you're only playing like 90 minutes less than Pareko and Falk tells me that something's not going right. I don't know how you get this back on the right track. So part of it might just be stopping using him in this platoon where he's in the defensive zone for faceoffs almost every time that he's coming onto the ice. So this year, 73% of his zone starts have come in the defensive zone. So he's, he's been almost exclusively used when they've got faceoffs in the defensive zone. For context, the last two years, that was at 55%. Mm-hmm. He is by far the highest, not just on the Blues, but in all of hockey, he's like right up near the top of the list in terms of the guys that are spending the most time starting in their own D zone. So he's already put into a situation where he's having to be a shutdown defenseman in a way that most other guys, not just on this team, but around the league are not. That's probably the first thing that's going to have to change. The problem is, if you do that, somebody else has to take his role where he was the guy that was being used as a shutdown defenseman. Do they have that player on this team right now, Alex? Can Nico Mikola be that guy? Look, when you look at Nico Mikola's size and the way he plays, he can be that guy. He's six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds, and I would say that's probably a little bit light on him. He's twenty five years old. He's fast. He plays physical. He matches everything that the Blues need. But he's not Jay Bowmeister. He's not a former first round draft pick. He's a fifth round draft pick. Can he be? A shutdown pairing, of course he can get to that level. But I think if you're looking in terms of what they had in the past of Pareko and Bomeister being the number one pairing in the NHL going up against the opposition, I don't think Mikel is going to be that. I think the Blues are kind of at a crossroads right now where they have to decide, can Mikola, can Perunovic imitate at least a little of what Pareko and Bomeister used to have? If not, then you're trending towards the direction of having to make another Jay Bomeister trade. Because if you want to keep the window open, you need another top defenseman who can play with Colton Prego. It's eerily similar to the problem that the Blues were in with another right-handed defenseman that they thought was their future, and they didn't have anybody to play with them. And that was Alex Petrangelo. They went out there, and they made the trade to Calgary with a couple of uh, prospects and a first-round pick to get Jay Bowmeister, and look what happened. That's what the Blues are missing right now. Can Mikula get there? Maybe, but he's not going to be Jay Bomeister. And I don't know if there's a guy out there that you can trade for that matches that. That's the problem, man. It's They probably do need to go out and find their next Jay Bomeister. The trouble is it's really hard to find Jay Bomeister. Like that guy was just, he was the perfect fit at the perfect time for this team. And finding another defensive defenseman that can go out there and play 23, 24 minutes the way that he did in 2013 for the Blues and only having to give up a couple of prospects that, I mean, it's not like they were Jordan Cairo or Robert Thomas and then a first round pick for him. They ended up making a really good deal for Mm -hmm. him as well. And this was a guy that was like legitimately a borderline all-star level defenseman. I don't know where you find that player getting that guy in this team right now is going to be incredibly difficult unless they are willing to trade potentially Vladimir Tarasenko or one of those young superstars that they've got with Thomas or Cairo. And I just don't see the, 
the interest in doing that right now for the Blues. And here's the problem also. You, you're going to try and make a trade for another top defenseman who's going to be eating at least five or six mil per year. You're going to have three guys, four guys, if you make a trade, that combined for $24 million. And that's a recipe for disaster if you have four defensemen locked up at five or six million dollars per year because you're not going to be able to afford other areas. And Thomas and, Cost- Thomas and Kyrou are at the point where you do need to start talking. I know they just signed a two-year contract, but next year you're going to start talking about what that extension is going to look like. So and It's going to be a lot for both of them. They're going to get big money because the yeah. way that they're playing this year. They're playing like six, seven million dollar players on yeah. this roster. So here's the thing. You can make a trade for you know the guy that's interesting. I don't think they would trade him as a Jacob Chikrin from the Arizona Coyotes. They're not going anywhere Soon, maybe they trade him. You know, take a look at the Montreal Canadiens. Ben Sherrod is a top defenseman, plays the left side, but he also makes about three and a half million dollars. There will be defensemen that you can make a trade for that could match this identity, but you have to always be considering what you're looking at if you make this move. And I don't know if you want Pareko, Krug, Falcon, another defenseman making six plus million dollars. And on top of it, Marco Scandell is not going to be an easy commodity to trade and someone take on that three and a half mil. That's the tough part. The answer to the question is really they need Marco Scandella to get back to who he was in 2019 whatever they traded for him or 2020 whatever it was um if they can't get that player that version of marco scandella again they might not be able to fix this issue in season i think they can get to it they just need to they need to have somebody who can play with pareco and consistently play with pareco because if you're going platoon you're asking scandella to do two different things in a game to being the third pairing guy the penalty kill guy and then jumping up to the shutdown pair You need Scandella just to stay in that third pairing, the shutdown pair on the third side, kind of like what Carl Gunnarsson was for this Blues team. But with that, Perunovic or Mikola have to take that next step and being a guy that you can rely on in big moments. And if they do that, they can't do this platoon thing anymore. Like if Perunovic is the guy that's going to be up there on that top pairing with Pareko, and I don't know if he will be or not. I know right now it's Mikola. We'll see if that's able to stick. And if it is, okay, you can go this route. But if Perunovic ends up being the answer up there with Pareko, which I think eventually it probably will be, whether that's this year or in the future, they they can't play the same way that they are stylistically right now where you're platooning your defensemen. So uh, a lot to watch for blues versus lightning tonight pregame with Alex coming up at six o'clock. This is the beginning of a big Florida trip slash sequence for the blues. They've got the lightning tonight. They've got the lightning on Thursday. Then they've got a couple of games against the Panthers as well. So four straight against the teams from Florida six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers. We'll get to those coming up here on one oh one ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, how would you feel about this potential lineup for the Cardinals? Tommy Edmond. Love it. Tyler O'Neill. Love it. Nolan Arenado. Love it. Paul Goldschmidt. Love it. Sorry, that's my bad. I read those backwards. Flip those. Goldie than Arenado. I don't like that. I don't like that. Carlos Correa. Yeah! (laughs) Nolan Gorman, Yadier Molina, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson. Oh, my God. Well, he's not going to the Yankees because he called out Derek Jeter, so take that team off the list. I don't think the Yankees. I could be completely misreading this. You probably, I, I probably mis- you probably completely misreading this. I don't think they're going to sign a shortstop this offseason. Not not one of the big ones. I don't think they're getting Story, they and would. I don't think they're getting Correa. Andrelton Simmons is one of the top ten free agent shortstops on the market. No, Absolutely, that's don't, correct. Don't they have what's his face? He's terrible. He can't he can't defend. Uh, what's his David face Torres? was always terrible. Yeah. 
Yeah, he, he, he Wasn't he like a top him. prospect and yes. then all of a sudden it's, oh, you're horrible. They got him for uh, Araldus Chapman in that deal. And then yeah. re-signed Araldus Chapman right <laughs> afterwards. Uh, the old Smart highway robbery. It, yeah, it turned out he, he can't defend at a high enough level to be an everyday starting shortstop in the majors. So well, he's probably going to have, have to kick over at either second or third. Who's the guy that plays third for him? Can he play short? No, he's a thir- he's a true third baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've a lot of guys going on around that I don't remember who they are. I don't even know who you're talking about. <laughs> there th- was there like primarily third and, baseman. Oh, Miguel Andahar. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Yes. Yeah, he's some thought that he might end up having to be a DH or first base as well. So I got a lot of DHs and first baseman on that team. Yeah, that's why some are saying that it, it sounds like Luke Voigt might get non-tendered within the next 24 hours. He's a guy that I would love to see back. Why here would you get on tender? Non-tendered. Sorry. Oh. Why would you not get on tender? From the, <laughs> from the 618, why wouldn't the Cardinals be interested in a shortstop like David Eckstein? Uh, why didn't even we talk about this guy? Do what? Get David Eckstein. Is there a scrappy leadoff hitter with a great on-base percentage that's available? Yeah, David Eckstein. No, but like uh, on the market right now. I- BK, it's a joke. I know, but <laughs> if you could find yeah. somebody like Tommy that, Edmund yeah, is I'm that here. guy. Tommy he, Edmund is that guy. He doesn't have an on-base percentage. That's yeah, very he high, does. Though. You just don't like him. Okay, it's 305. I like Tommy Edmund a lot, but his on-base percentage no, it's leaves a little something to be desired. Dude, don't 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Hey, guys, what have you made of the college football coaches making the big moves this offseason? Is it surprising to you that a coach from Oklahoma and Notre Dame in the same offseason would decide to go elsewhere? BK, you need to instill me with your college football intelligence because what the hell happened with Brian Kelly? My man even changed his Twitter profile oh, oh. to head coach of the LSU Tigers. He's already done it. He's already changed it. The man hasn't even gotten into the playoffs yet with his team, and he's already moving well, he's on. He's done. This is going to be awkward if they make the playoffs. <laughs> no, he's done. Gonna, that's what I'm saying. How He's not coaching them for no, the no. playoff. I know. That, what I'm, it's I know. awkward for Notre Dame. It's awkward. If they get in and they don't have the guy who got them there. By the way, somebody tell Lincoln Riley he needs to change his Twitter profile as well. He's still on there <laughs> listed as the University of Oklahoma's head football coach. That's awkward, too. Yeah. So I don't know what he's thinking here. I guess I guess it is somewhat simple. Nothing like losing to Saban every year. You, you go to LSU and you've got a chance to win a national championship, and he didn't see that same possibility at Notre Dame. Now, that being said... The dude has been to the college football playoff, what, three of the last four full seasons that they've played? I mean, you don't have that much that you've got to go from there. Not not that much further. Now you're going to LSU where you're going to be competing against those same teams that you're losing against as Notre Dame in the college football playoff. You're just doing it earlier. You're doing it in the regular season. The ceiling there is very high. The floor is also way lower. Because if you get the wrong pairing, I don't know what the schedule is going to look like, maybe even starting as early as next year. But LSU could be in a pod, if you want to look at that at it that way, with four other teams that they're going to play regularly. You could be with, like, Arkansas, Alabama, and Auburn. I mean, good luck. That is going to be incredibly difficult to be able to consistently win at a high level there. Brian Kelly's a good coach. He knows what he's doing. He's getting $10 million a year to make the bolt. I get it. But, man, I... Being the head coach at Notre Dame has its perks, and he had lifetime uh, contracts there if he wanted it. I just don't understand when you're a head coach of a good school like this where you're getting paid great money, but like you own that town. You own that area because you're the head coach of a 
college football team that everyone loves. I don't understand why you would want to move on from that. I think the Lincoln Riley one makes a ton of sense. That one him. does, but Brian Kelly doesn't. Kelly's the one that I just cannot wrap my You're head around. You're the head around. coach of Notre Dame. Why are you leaving? And I, to me, I, to your point million. on the skit. <laughs> okay, I guess that's true. Yeah, the sound effect will do it. How yeah. much money was he making, though, at Notre Dame? Five. Oh, at least according to reports. Man, what are you going to do without that extra five mil? I, I'm with you. It's it's the old thing from Dave Chappelle, house. right, where he says, like, I was in the same restaurant as this other guy. He was making $250 million. I was making $150 million. What's the difference between our lives? We're both at the same restaurant, eating at the same time, living very similar lives. The difference is $100 million. So You like, didn't deliver that very well. Okay. Um, that that That's the difference. It's, it's an extra $5 million a year. Like, I, I, I don't it, think but, that's all that meaningful, but but look at might. look at LSU. I mean, if if you're not good, you're gone, yeah. and they'll pay you to leave. I'm with you. Whereas Notre look Dame, what they did to Ed Ogeron. I mean, that guy had saying. what five years left on a. I mean, it, but the at Notre Dame, on his contract's insane. But at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly has been good. He's hasn't been, really been great, good. but he's been good. But he's still like it's not like that, he's losing his job anytime no, soon. No, never. To your point on the scheduling, that's the winningest coach there ever. That's what confuses me because. I get it. Notre Dame, they, they're an independent school, so they can basically schedule who they want and come to an agreement with somebody. But look at their schedule this year. They can schedule a fairly easy schedule like they did this year. They had two top 25 teams on their schedule. Yep. They lost to one of them, and that was Cincinnati. They beat Wisconsin, who's not even top 25 anymore, and you can still be a contender for the college football playoff. Someone said the weather's better in LSU, not Notre Dame. Yeah, that's why he left, because the weather's better in LSU. I think it's pretty simple. I think it was the money and the chance to win a championship, and that, that's probably what sold him on going to LSU. I just think you can win a title at Notre Dame. Do you, do I refuse you think, to believe you can. Yeah. I, I wonder, and now that we're talking about a guy going from an independent to the SEC, I wonder if Jimbo Fisher regrets going to A&M at all in, in terms of winning. Maybe. He's got a lot of money to be able to wipe up his tears. Yeah, that's, of, that's the thing. Is like he the got paid a lot. What do you do with it? But like, Apparently. To, to be honest, though, I mean, he— he really struggled after Jameis Winston was gone. He never really had a team at Florida State. So yeah. he, He's a really good coach, but it's very hard to win in the SEC at a high level, as a lot of coaches have learned over the years. I think that was I think that was the reason that Lincoln Riley left OU. That, that's I think why Riley I, that's left why think. OU because he was looking at what was ahead in the SEC and saying to himself, I ain't going I, anywhere. I, I can't win 11 games a year in the SEC, and if I don't win 11 games here, I'm getting fired. I couldn't even win in this but, year. That's exactly. why Brian Kelly was so surprising because you have job security 100%. at Notre Dame, regardless if it's five to ten million dollars. I know I have a job every single year rather than always wondering if I don't win 10 or 11 games in the SEC, I'm gone. And if you're Lincoln Riley, you're going to a high power name school in USC with history and in a time in which the Pac-12 is very weak. Yeah. Are you talking about Kelly or Riley? I think you mentioned oh, both I, of them. There. I think Lincoln Riley is who I meant to say. Okay, I probably I, I combined like, the I, names. I'm trying to follow here. You, you mentioned the no, Pac-12. No, I, I can't coach anymore, man. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Tanner's guy Villejuso has he earned himself some more opportunities. Jamie mentioned something interesting about that yesterday on the fast lane. We'll talk about it at 12:15. But next. I think the Cardinals added the best case scenario if they were looking for a specific type of starter. We'll explain that next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ultimately, why did we decide to, to focus on Steve? Just a couple points here. One is we think he's a really good pitcher. Two, he's left-handed. Three, he throws strikes. Four, we think he'll take advantage of our defense and our ballpark. Five, we think he's a winner. And 
six, he's a good person. And so that led us to where we are today. I like what the Cardinals got in Steven Matz. And if you're looking at the type of pitcher that he is, specifically left-handed, I think they probably got their best bang for the buck by going this route. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Mosaluck yesterday at the introductory press conference for Steven Matz, who will join us coming up at 1245. Alex, here were the other, like, number two or three starters, the mid-range starters at least, that were available on the open market, not named Steven Matz this offseason. Carlos Rodon, who's still out there, Robbie Ray, Eduardo Rodriguez, Alex Wood, Tyler Anderson, Andrew Heaney, Drew Smiley. Those last three names, I'm not even sure I would put them in the same category. Did Rodriguez sign? Yeah, uh, a few of those guys have signed, but those were yeah. the players that were available on the open market this offseason. I think if you're looking at that, and especially given what the signings have gone for thus far, I think the Cardinals' best case scenario, if they wanted a lefty, was Alex Wood or Steven Matz. I think those were the guys to me that I would have hoped that they would have come away with this offseason. If they dipped down into the Smiley Anderson Heaney route, I think I would have let that would have left a little something for me to be desired. And I'm not sure that I would have wanted to go five years and $115 million for Robbie Ray or five years and $77 million for Eduardo Rodriguez. I think they ended up, all things considered, getting the best case scenario for the specific type of pitcher that they were looking and for. And I think he's better than what Alex Wood is. And you basically got Steven Matz for a million dollars more than Alex Wood. Now I know there's two years less on Wood's deal, but four years, and I don't know how old Alex Wood is. I'm assuming he's a, around the same 32. age. I think they're about the same. So he's around the same age with that. So look, the length is what you look at, but for Steven Matz, yeah, they're the same it age. doesn't seem like this is a guy with longevity issues. It seems like it's more just of the amount of money you're willing to spend. And look, for $11 million, I can get Steven Matz, who in my opinion is better than Alex Wood. That is a steal, and that is the best case scenario in terms of the left-handed relievers. I wondered if there were right-handed guys that made more sense, like Marcus Stroman, obviously. But you're right, BK. You're going to be spending five, six, seven, maybe $10 more million than what you just spent on Steven Matz. Yeah, and, and I like the idea of having a lefty in a rotation rather than being so right-handed heavy like the Cardinals were. I mean, they have Libertor in the system coming up, but... I mean, realistically, he's not going to be here until probably July, August, something like that. So I, I like the idea of them looking for that left-hander, as Mo mentioned, and I, I think Matt was the best fit. I understand that Wood got pretty much the same deal, just less, less years. He was such an injury concern for me. I don't know if you could rely on him consistently. That's why I think when you look at this market, I, I could have gotten behind maybe Eduardo Rodriguez. That just feels like a little bit too much for me, too. So to me, Matt was the guy. I don't know if I wanted to dip any lower than that because these other guys on this list – Tyler Anderson, Drew Smiley, Andrew Heaney. Those are fives. Those are four or five starters. And I wanted you're a guy that on was... A, you're hoping for upside yeah. with Heaney, and then you're just hoping for them to be able to stay in your rotation with Anderson and, and Smiley. And I wanted a guy that was going to come in and I feel is going to be my number three, and his upside, if it had to be, could be a number two. So I think they got that in Steven Matz, and I, I, I thought it was... I made it clear a couple weeks ago I didn't want to bring in a guy that should be a five-starter. I would just promote from within if that's the case. So I think they found the perfect fit with Matz. Yeah, and if you're looking at, at Wood, you talked about this, Alex, the the lack of durability there you have 25 more starts by steven Matz over the last four years than alex wood and he has thrown an extra 150 innings from what you've had by alex wood over the uh over the last four years he's just been more durable and that was not the case for Matz early in his career his first three seasons in new york were plagued by injury and that was the big question is he ever going to be able to be healthy 
Well, over the last three full seasons, he started 30, 30, and 29 games, and he's thrown 154, 160, and 151 innings. That's the model of consistency right there. That's exactly what you're looking for. 2020 went horribly wrong for him. It went horribly wrong for a lot of guys. J.D. Martinez was terrible in 2020. There are a lot of different great players that, for whatever reason, and there's a million of them, just didn't pitch well, didn't hit well in the 2020 season. And it was short. It was only nine starts for him. Uh, He threw 30 innings that year. I'm not going to count that against him. The last three full seasons that he's pitched, he's been outstanding. So now your rotation is essentially set. You've got Wayno and Flaherty at the top. You've got Hudson and Matts there in the middle. And you've got Michaelis, who's the question mark, but has the upside to be a legit number two starter if he's completely healthy next year. You need another pitcher, BK. What does this mean for Alex Reyes? Because I was reading Rick Hummel's chat yesterday. He said, quote, Reyes could be a long man for this when the season starts and he would be ready to step into the rotation should somebody falter. His days as a uh, short reliever are probably over for now, and I definitely wouldn't trade him again. That came from Rick Hummel in his uh, chat over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. That's kind of similar to what I heard from Brad Thompson yesterday on the fast lane as well. Here's what he had to say about Reyes's future role. Reyes is tearing it up, but everybody else looks fine. Everybody else is healthy, and they're good to go, and they're very comfortable with the five-man rotation they're going with. They're not going to do a six-man off the top. Like, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to pay all these guys to do a six-man rotation. Makes little sense to me. There might be times during the season where you're going through long stretch. You don't have too many off days. You want to be able to build some in. Then great. Let's go for it. We'll do a six-man that day, do a bullpen day, whatever. So how do you get creative then? And how do you best utilize the skill set that is there for Reyes and maybe even Hicks at this point? Can you keep those guys and and look at a hybrid role for them do you think that's the best case scenario for him like what what does it look like next year if alex reyes is really good in in spring training he looks like he's getting ready to take that next step and he has stretched himself out to be a starter early in spring it's like oh boy uh, we got to find a role for this guy what does it look like that that's my thing right now is conceptually i just don't know what that looks like if everybody's healthy and alex reyes is throwing well in spring training. I mean, I think it looks like what John Gant's role was last year at the beginning of the season before all of the injuries took place. Now, I know. But he was starting for them. But before all of those injuries took place, what his role was destined to be in spring training. He, that never really came, though, because they were without KK early in the season. The Michaelis injury popped up. So he was just he was immediately inserted into the rotation for him. Right. Am I wrong on that? I mean, you might be right he there, was, but, but his role was supposed uh, to be yeah. kind of that middle relief. Guy. I don't think they looked at him as a guy that was going to be starting until all of those injuries popped up. And I think what John Gant had been for the Cardinals, I think, is what Alex Reyes is going to be. You're not getting high leverage situations. You're not getting uh, the closing role. You're going to be the guy that's first one out of the bullpen that gives the guys two or three innings, and you might only see him. What's Woodford's role? This is my issue. If you have both of those guys in your bullpen, I just don't know that you're going to be able to have the innings for them to both. I I think Woodford. I know they don't want to, but I think Woodford's going to have to start in the minors. I agree. There's nothing else to use him for because I don't want to use out. I understand you. There's no need for him to be a one inning reliever anymore. It's time for him to stretch out and build into this rotation kind of uh, Alex Reyes as a starter. I don't want him as just a long inning relief guy, though, because you're lo- you're going to get lost because the way this rotation is built, we're assuming these are guys that are innings eaters. Unless you're piggybacking him with Michaelis, you're only going to have him throw three or four innings. Or same with Hudson. Maybe they'll do that with Hudson early in the year because he's coming off Tommy John, but he returned already this year and was pitching. So I don't see that being a thing. So my role for him would be middle relief or late relief, but be stretched out to throw 
two innings rather than just one, but that's hard to do consistently as well. And then, like you mentioned, that puts Jake Woodford in some place, and I'm not even sure what you do with him. I, to me, the best-case scenario for Alex Reyes, as he looks great in spring training, somehow you can work him in that middle relief role, and then maybe he's trade bait at the deadline. So or John Jake G- Woodford is. So John Gant back in 2019 had a had a true relief role where the entire season he he was a reliever for them and they that is kind of when he had that role that you're talking about Alex any guesses on how many times that year he threw more than 2 innings John Gant more than 2 innings back in 2019 how many times I, I, do you think he did that I don't think he did it very often I don't think I I'll say like 5 6 times Yeah I, I... I want to say it was probably like three. I remember him coming in clean or innings four. or cleaning up double plays. I don't remember him stretch out a lot. Two. Yeah, I was gonna say, okay. I Two times was that year, that. the entire year, when he had 66 appearances, he went more than two innings. One was two and a third against Milwaukee when they were up 12 to two. He was the middle inning guy there. Ended up getting the win. And another time against the Mets that season when they ended up winning nine to five, he threw three innings out of relief. I just don't know that that role that we're talking about really exists in baseball today in the way that we would like it to for an Alex Reyes. If you're going to have him be that guy, I think you have to count on him as still being a one to two inning reliever. And I just don't know if that's getting the best use out of him because then you've essentially eliminated him as a starting pitcher candidate for you the rest of the season. You just can't realistically speaking, stretch him out while he's in the big leagues and you're not sending him down to the minors. So I think Alex Reyes's best case scenario, it might be as a seventh inning type of a reliever for you again. I know that sounds weird to say, but I mean, you look at Gallegos and Cabrera, I think that's my eight, nine innings right now. And if they go sign another player, maybe that's the guy that you match up with Alex Reyes. I, I think the best case scenario for him, as much as I don't like it, is probably for him to be that that late-inning reliever once again put into that mix. And someone texted 314 with Reyes' stuff. You can't just stick him in middle relief. Look, I think that might be the best-case scenario for him, like you said. He struggled in the closing role towards the second half of the season. You, There's no way somebody can legitimately sit here and be like, yeah, you trust Reyes as a starter with the other guys that are options for you. The best spot for Alex Reyes is a middle relief role where he can go out there and if he puts you in a bad situation, okay, well, you got time to make it up rather than him coming in in the ninth inning or the eighth inning and giving up three walks and putting the team in a bad spot and having to overuse your bullpen. It might be the best spot for him. And then when an injury happens, because an injury will happen to this pitching staff, he's the first guy you go to. I I can't even sit here today and picture him in the rotation next year. And that's the tough part because... I've got Libertor coming. You're only losing one spot in that rotation, and that's when Adam Wainwright retires. Unless Dakota Hudson kind of has that fallback year that some people think he might because of his command issues, and then you move him to the bullpen, then maybe that's that spot. But even then, I still have trouble looking at it because Oviedo, they seem to have some upside for. Jake Woodford, they have upside for. Right now, where would you put him in terms of your starting pitching depth chart? To me, Alex Reyes would probably be, I'd say, seventh behind Jake Woodford. I think that's probably true for me as well. And I think you, if he ends up, I was about to say, and the other problem is if he ends up in this role that we're talking about, he's even behind that behind some of those guys down in the minors. Like uh, we talked about a couple of their triple a starters. They might be a better scenario for the Cardinals. If they needed a spot start than an Alex Reyes, 
I do want to bring this up. This is according to Derek Gould. He just posted this on Twitter. Said the Cardinals would like to identify a swing man. Maybe that could be Jake Woodford, but free agent Colin McHugh, formerly of the Astros last year with the Tampa Bay Rays, where he had uh, 64 innings and had through to a 1.5 ERA. He was outstanding for them. Uh, apparently, they view him as a potential fit. Luis Garcia, Tapera, they are reportedly interested or interested in both of them. As of yesterday, they had not had contact with uh, Archie Bradley, and it sounds like they had interest early on in Joe Kelly. They have not reached back out to him since then, though. So uh, the kind of the rundown of their free agent. Probably too much shenanigans for Joe Kelly for them to call him. Uh, Relief pitching interest. Colin McHugh, potentially a fit. Luis Garcia, Ryan Tapera, all potentially of interest for the Cardinals. I really like Colin McHugh. When I originally heard the name, I was like, ugh, Colin McHugh? And I looked into some of the man he he was outstanding last year for the Tampa Bay Rays. Maybe you should apologize to Colin then. I I think you're probably right. He ended up starting seven games for them as an opener. Um, oh no, the opener through 37 games overall. It, he'd he'd be a pretty good fit for the Cardinals, although he has had some some questions with injuries at times in his past. So Colin ah. McHugh, a potential name to look at. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, Ville Husso, has he earned more opportunities? I know what Tanner's answer is to that question. What does Alex yeah. think? We'll talk about it next. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So, Ville Husso, we got to talk about him. Husso, Husso, All right, come down over there. Come He's down not over starting there. tonight. The Blues are going to, it looks like they're going to go with uh, Jordan Bennington in net tonight against the Lightning. You'll hear that game right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario coming up at 6 o'clock. Has Ville Husso earned more opportunities? That was a question that the guys presented to Jamie Rivers yesterday on the fast lane. Here's what he said about that possibility. I tell you what I do consider is getting Ville Husso some more games, whether that's shortening up the the rotation of one every three games rather than one every five games or however they do it. And I think if nothing else, meet, I think he's earned the, the, the opportunity to get more starts, whether that means bumping it up to one every three, I don't know, but I think he's definitely played really, really. Do you think he's deserving of that opportunity, Alex? Yes and no. Uh, welcome to sitting on the fence with BK and Ferrario. I, I, I do think, here. I do think he deserves more than four games in the first 21 games of the season. But Jordan Bennington's your number one guy. Jordan Bennington is the guy that you're paying $6 million to for the next, what, four seasons? He's the number one starter. Ville Husso was the backup, and Ville Husso's playing very well when he gets called upon. But the problem with Ville Husso is, I mean, he is forcing the hand of Craig Berube, but the last two games, he's given up three goals. It's the same that Jordan Bennington has been doing. So I don't know. But Alex, they won one of those. Well, that's the problem. I think people are looking yeah. at it and saying, oh, well, the Blues are three and one with Ville Husso in between the pipes. Oh, who do they sound like, Alex? <laughs> Record's not a team stat for the goalie, right? No, it's not. Okay. Who said that it was? Tanner? Probably no. because you love Ville Husso. I do. It's a team stat, man. Look, look Ville Husso has played well, and he, he's already proven the doubters wrong. I would consider looking at him. 
maybe once a week. Now you're in the situation where you don't have back-to-backs. You're playing three in seven days rather than four in seven days. But look, if he's stopping the puck, he's got two games where he allowed one goal and then the shutout, and then, of course, the last two have been three goals allowed. He's played well. The team seems to play well in front of him. But I'm not talking about playing Ville Husso every other day and Bennington being the backup right now. Like, there's no goalie controversy. Bennington's the number one guy. They did the right thing in terms of starting him tonight. Husso played against Columbus because it was the second of back-to-backs. And I would imagine you're going to see Bennington on Thursday and on Saturday against Florida and Tampa because he's the number one guy. Yeah, maybe you end up seeing, like, uh, on either Thursday or Saturday, one of those two games. You might see Husso just because you're going the, the back-to-back with against the similar opponent there. Um, but I don't think that that would be the case if it was they played Tampa, Detroit, and then Florida. I think that would change things if the scheduling was a little bit different there. I don't think there's even close to a goalie controversy no. right now. Sorry, and Tanner. I understand I if you want to see Huso getting more opportunities to lighten the load from Bennington. I think that's something they were going to have to do regardless, just because Bennington's workload early in the season was absurd. He's going to get those. There's going to be a lot more games coming up between January and March in terms of volume of games they're going to play. I'm not worried about Benner right now. That that guy is fine. And if you're going to reach your peak of what you're expecting from this team, it's got to be as a result of Jordan Bennington being the player we all thought he could be coming into the season. If he's not a at least borderline top 10 goalie in the league, well, then the Blues aren't going to reach their goals for this season. Yeah. Like that, that's just the reality of it. Ville Husso is not going to be the reason why the Blues, A, make the playoffs, and B, succeed when they get there. If he is, we've got way bigger questions to ask, and I just don't I don't foresee that being the case. So can he start one out of every five games or so? Sure. Yeah, you could, you could do that. I think 20% of the time sounds about right for Ville Husso. I wouldn't be doing a ton more than that, though. Yeah, look, and I know people are looking at Bennington and they're saying, well, he's not the guy he was, one, when they won the Cup, but you need to stop with those expectations. But two, he's not the guy that he was in the first four games of the season where the team started off 5-0. and But if you go look at those numbers, I mean, he allowed three goals against the Avalanche, four against the Coyotes, one against Vegas, three against the Kings. Those are the first four victories of the season for Jordan Bennington. That's not very different than what the last four games have been. He allowed three versus the Blackhawks, two versus the Golden Knights, three versus the Stars, three versus the Coyotes. This is more about the team playing in front of Jordan Bennington than the goaltender in terms of not being good. I think the last bad game that you can go to for Jordan Bennington was that overtime loss against the Nashville Predators because I thought he played well in Edmonton. The team just didn't play solid in front of him. The Arizona Coyotes, that was another example of the team not playing well. Dallas was a special teams blunder, and he played very good against Vegas and Chicago. Bennington's fine. Bennington is fine. And if you have the same amount of game, if you flipped their roles right now, which they will not and should not do, if you flipped their roles right now, you'd be getting similar, if not worse, production out of Ville Husso to what you're getting currently out of Jordan Bennington. If the Blues are going to get back on track, it's because Bennington looks like a top 10 goalie. It's because David Perron, whatever he returns, and Braden Shin and Ryan O'Reilly are playing the way we all know they are capable of, and their defensemen figure it out on the back end. Yeah. That's the problem with the Blues right now. How how do they get this thing going? They find a pairing for Colton Pareko that plays well in their own zone. How do they get this going? You have some of those top players that aren't playing at the level we expected reaching those performances once again. That's how this thing gets turned around and they start playing a little bit more consistent. 
in the meantime, yeah, it's going to look a little ugly until they get all of that happening consistently. Uh, and I just don't know how long that's going to take right now, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, it's going to come down to the defense improving in front of Bennington. And really, when I say defense, it's about the, the, the forwards as well. It's a five-man unit playing in front of them. Right now, they seem to be playing to what they need to do for Husso, although he has made some big-time saves for him. But Jordan Bennington has made some breakaway saves in games that the Blues just haven't played their best. I think that's what it comes down to more than anything. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, new starting pitcher for the Cardinals, Stephen Matz, will join us to discuss his four-year, $44 million contract to be a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. I want to ask him about what it's going to be like for him to pitch in the Dominican. As we heard earlier today, it sounds like that's going to happen. I'm kidding. He's probably not going to do that. We need to find out about the foot race, too. Also, we got to ask him about if there's anything planned for him to race against Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrari. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. As Tanner just mentioned, we are very happy to be joined right now by the newest St. Louis Cardinal starting pitcher Stephen Matz joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Stephen, first of all, congratulations on signing with the Cardinals. We're thrilled to have you. How you doing today, man? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm extremely excited to be part of this team. Absolutely. We're, we're thrilled to have you. So I, I wanted to start out by asking you, because earlier today we talked to Phil Regan, uh, the former Mets pitching coach, who I know you have a great relationship with. He asked us if you're going to be joining him down in the Dominican. He wanted to make sure that we asked you about <laughs> that. He said there's some great golf that's taking place down there right now, and it sounds like you would be able to get some innings down there for him. <laughs> you know, he did text me after I signed congratulating me and asking me if uh, – you know, if I, I needed to come to the Dominican to get a little tune-up, so obviously he knew that I would do that, but it was, I love Phil. He's such a great guy, and he's really helped me a lot in my career. Well, he sold us on it, Stephen. I, I mean, I was ready to pack my bags and get on an airplane <laughs> to get down there with him for that, but speaking of your former pitching coaches, we did talk with Jim Riggleman yesterday as well, and, you know, he gave us a little interesting insight. He said you were one of the fastest players on that Mets team, and he said he believes you'll be one of the fastest players on this Cardinals team. I'm just curious if you feel like you can beat Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill in a foot race or if we need to, like, schedule something like this in spring training. Oh, man. Um, you know, last year being in the American League, uh, you know, didn't do too much base running. So uh, I'm not going to not going to talk a big game there. Uh, there's some pretty athletic guys on, on this squad. So what do you think that would look like if you and Harrison Bader ended up getting in some sort of a, a foot race? Do you think you would be able to take him? Uh, no, no, he's. <laughs> He's too fast. <laughs> We're talking to Stephen Matz here on 101 ESPN, new Cardinals starting pitcher joining the show. Uh, Stephen, what sold you on St. Louis? What, what was the reason why when you went into the open market, and I'm sure you had a, a bunch of different options on the table for you, what sold you that this was the best possible fit? Oh, man. You know, um, at the end of the season, you know, last year, you know, St. Louis, obviously, they, they went on a run there, and it was a really exciting team. And I know they traded for Lester and Happ, and those two guys were, were going to be trading. So I knew that, you know, maybe I was hoping they would possibility because I've always just had a ton of respect for the, the Cardinals organization and the players they have. And, you know, the past two decades they've been winning. I've seen them win World Series. Um, 
And so, obviously, you know, that just right there is like, man, I, if they call, I'd be so honored. And then, uh, obviously, the defense behind me, Nolan Arenado, I mean, he's one of my favorite players. I mean, he's just he's unbelievable. Goldschmidt, you know, some of the, the mix between veteran and, and younger guys, and then throwing the Adier Molina. Um, it just checks all the boxes. It, you know, it's, it's only uh, less than a five-hour drive from my home. My wife's a musician. She's traveling a lot. You know, hopefully start a family soon. So, you know, a lot of those things. And when they called, I got really excited. And, uh, um, you know, I'm just really happy and thankful that it worked out. Steven, is that something as a free agent you pay attention to? A, a team that, that has gold glove winners on it, a team that, you know, prides themselves in defense and pitching. When you're a pending free agent, are you paying attention to all of that in the off season? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's... Uh, definitely a big added bonus um obviously you want you want to go you know now at this point in my career i had a small taste of the world series in 15 and then this year had a little taste of winning and you know making planning meaningful games even though we didn't make the playoffs in october and so you know that's a big thing is you know i want to be on a winning team and when you got good defense like that and good players like that that's something that you look at and uh you know especially with this cardinals team is really exciting Steven Match joining us here on 101 ESPN, joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Uh, Steven, what was this offseason like, like specifically for you, but I, I would imagine for players as a whole that hit the market going into what is obviously going to be an uncertain time for the sport. How much did that play into the, kind of speeding things up for your process and players as a whole right now? Yeah, I mean, I know I can speak for myself personally, you know, I wanted to have some certainty going into, you know, who knows how what's going to happen with this. You know, I don't know really how this thing's going to play out. And so I wanted to have some certainty. I wanted to know where I was going. I wanted to have a relationship with the staff at this point and kind of have a plan. And me and my wife kind of have an idea of, you know, what the future is going to look like here this coming year. And so I personally, I wanted to really know where I was going before um, this stuff whatever is about to happen goes down. So that was just my mine and my wife's personal preference. So, Stephen, last year um, in the shortened season, you were with the Mets, and I think it was about six games that you started, and then the next season, this season, you pitched for Toronto. And, I mean, you had 14 wins and nearly pitched 30 games. Did something change for you personally in your style or your pitching from 2020 to 2021, or was it just that shortened season that had an effect? Um, you know, I, I definitely did change a little bit. You know, it, it's funny because I came into the 2020 season. Uh, I was throwing the hardest I did in my career. My stuff from an analytics point was moving like it never had. I was really excited. I came out and threw a good game my first game. Then it kind of went sideways a little bit. And I think it was really just finding an identity of who I am as a pitcher. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to the Blue Days organization for, one, taking a chance, and, two, kind of, working with me to, to figure that out because the stuff wasn't a problem. The stuff wasn't the issue in 2020. It was execution and how my stuff plays. And so just finding that identity was, was a big deal um, in 2021. And Pete Walker over there, the pitcher coach of the Blue Jays, and some of their guys. And it really was a simplified thing. But I think ultimately that's really what helped me. Is it easier to trust your stuff? I, I ask this not knowing the answer, but is it easier to trust your stuff in the zone when you have a defense like they have here in St. Louis? I mean, you look to your left and you've got Paul Goldschmidt. You look to your right, there's Nolan Arenado. And then in the outfield, you've got a couple of guys that won gold gloves. Does, does that make it easier for you as a pitcher? Absolutely, yeah. When you when you know you can you know, fill up the strike zone and put them in play and try to get quick outs to go deep in the game, I mean – 
you know, it, it builds confidence in yourself. It builds conviction in your pitches, which ultimately, you know, when, you, when you're convicted in what you're throwing and you can trust the guys behind you that they're going to make not only the, the average play, but they're going to make the great play too. I mean, you know, that only adds to the, to the success. So, You know, Stephen, we referenced that we, we talked with your former pitching coach, Phil Regan, earlier in the show. And, you know, he talked a little bit about how he worked with you on the mental side of the game. How important is that as a pitcher? And how much work have you put into that over these last few seasons? Yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, um, I don't think it's a uh, secret how important the mental side of the game is, especially with a pitcher, starting pitcher who's pitching once every five days. And if you have a good outing, you know, you're on top of the world for four days. And if you have a bad outing, you know, you got to sit and stew for four days. And so it's really important to kind of have a good balance. And I'm excited to really, you know, see how Adam Wainwright goes about his business on a day-in and day-out basis. But Bill definitely, he definitely helped me out with that a lot. He had me when I was just, maybe 21 or 22 years old, and then again in the big leagues. And then, um, you know, it's something that I, I pay attention to and, and definitely and you know, trying to turn over every stone and trying to improve on as well because you can, you can never be good enough at that, at that type of stuff. As a follow-up on that, Stephen, how much have you taken away from watching other pitchers go about their day-to-day business? I mean, you were on a team with uh, Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard, and then most recently you were on the team with Robbie Ray, who just won the Cy Young. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, I, I learned a lot from I learned I learned a lot from Jake. Um, he's a good friend of mine, and you know, I, I learned a lot watching him over the years. And then to see what Robbie did last year, uh, Hunjin Ryu, I learned I learned a ton from him last year. You know, he's been one of the best lefty pitchers in the game the past four years. Um, I got to pitch with Bartolo Colon, and so you know, it's it's just cool. You know, that's what that's what you do. You you learn from each other, and that's that's what I've been trying to do is seeing how guys go about their business and how they succeed. And I'm excited to do the same thing with the Cardinals. Just another couple of minutes here with Steven Matt's new Cardinals starter here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Steven, what do you like to do outside of, of baseball? Like when you're not at the field, what are some of the things that you prefer to do? Uh, I'm an outdoors type of guy. So I enjoy fishing. I enjoy hunting, um, just being outside and um, pretty, pretty simple. I mean, you know, well, <laughs> take the dog out and, do little projects, stuff like that. So it's uh, outdoorsy type of stuff. I know you've you have mentioned you were asked about this yesterday in your press conference as well. Your wife is a, is a singer. She's in a band, and I know you, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, she's about to go back out on on a short tour. Who do you think gets more nervous or anxious as they're watching the other? Is it her watching you playing baseball, or is it you watching her perform? I'll tell you what I. I get extremely nervous watching her perform because I can't even fathom remembering lyrics and singing in front of a crowd. And so um, she's really amazing at what she does. So I don't know if she gets nervous. Uh, she gets very nervous watching me. So I, that's hard to say. Has she tried to get you up on stage and sing, <laughs> yeah, Steven? It's got to be. She's got to try and get you to, to, to bust the pipes out. Um, she knows better. <laughs> <laughs> My even, wife does the same thing. Even on Nashville, I feel like you guys have to be going to some of those honky-tonks, and you've got to be getting up on the karaoke stage occasionally. No, I, I stay away from the microphone at all. Oh, Smart okay. man. I do the same thing, Steven. You just sit back and let the professionals do it, right? Yeah, that's right. All right, he's Steven Matz, new Cardinals starting pitcher, signed him just last week, official as of yesterday. Steven, we can't wait to watch you out on the mound for the Cardinals making starts next year. Hopefully they get all of this stuff off the field done, so that way we can talk with you again soon, my man. 
Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Stephen Match joining us here on 101 ESPN. Can you imagine? You're a, you're a major league starter. Your wife is a professional singer. She's in a, a successful band. And I, I think I would be more nervous watching my wife oh, than 100%. she is watching me. So, I, so my wife went to school for musical theater. And, of course, I went for broadcasting. And I... Like doing this still makes me nervous every time the mic goes on, but watching my wife have to like perform on stage, no, no chance. I, I did it in high school and I was a wreck all the time. There's no way I could do that professionally. You're just waiting for something to go wrong, and then the the, the feeling is like, oh god, what, what what do I say? What do I do? Like it, no no chance. Yeah, no, not at all. And then if you miss something, like every time someone sings the national anthem, I'm always worried they're going to miss a lyric and then butcher it. And I couldn't handle that. By the way, I don't think he's going to be racing. Uh, Harrison Bader. No, or Tyler I, don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't. I don't think he's in on that. Sorry, I don't get the sense we that need to he's pass that. Be interested in the race. We need to pass that along to uh, to Jim Ruggerman because I don't. Uh, I don't foresee uh, Stephen jumping in on any of that. You excitement. know what I think we do? I think we try to talk to Harrison Bader this off season. We'll, we'll try or to Tyler O'Neill. We'll try to reach out to him. Yeah. I think Bader would be the guy that we might be able to get interested in this. He'd be the yeah. one that's most likely to accept. Look, they do that fungo competition at training camp. Yeah, Why not do a little this? leg race training camp? I'm sure it would go well. I, no. I'm, there's no chance that John Mosellock nixes it. There's no chance that Michael Gersh nixes it. I'm sure that hey, well, Ali the BKO will, will be, be interested. The BKO will be oh, tested okay. into full effect. If All something right. happens with him running, then you know who to blame, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's going to happen either way. <laughs> Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, did the Rangers just make a huge mistake? I don't think so, but it seems like a lot of people disagree with me. Shock, surprise, who could have seen that one coming? We'll get into it at the top of the hour. But coming up next, let's dive into the juncture here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. By the way, huge thanks to Stephen Matz, the newest Cardinals starter, joining us here mo- uh, moments ago. If you missed any of that conversation, be sure to check that out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Diving into the junk drawer today, guys, there is a uh, Reddit poll that has been released on the most attractive NFL head coaches. If you had to guess, Bill Belichick, the number one, he is actually way higher than I would have expected. He is in the top 10. Okay, get the hell out of here. list of the most attractive coaches in the league. the hell out of here. Any other guesses? I'll give you three. Any other guesses on who these individuals said was the most attractive head coach in the NFL? Sean McVay's got to be number one. He is not. Cliff Kingsbury? He is not even in the top five. Cliff Kingsbury is at number four. Hold on. Sean McVay's not in the top five, but six. Bill Belichick is in the top ten? Correct. Well, who's judging this? I you? don't know, man. This is according to a Reddit poll. Well, by this Reddit poll, Bruce Arians must be the best looking. No, no, it's got to be. Uh, oh, it's coaches, not executives. Correct. I was thinking, um, what's his face? Mark Any guesses, Davis. Tanner? Well, Most attractive like NFL Arians, head coaches. The way you looked at Alex when he said that. No. Please tell me he's not up there. Bruce okay. Arians is middle of the pack. Even that's surprising. How is that possible? Who's the Mark last is, place uh, one? Not- Vic Fangio. 
Matt Rule is 31st. Ron Rivera, who okay, I'm, sorry. I'm surprised is this low, is at number 30. Matt Rule is a more attractive individual than Bruce Arians. Well, not according to this poll. Where's, uh, what's his name from the Jets, Sala? Robert Sala is a good guess. He is at number three. Figured he'd be. What here. about uh, Sirianni from Philly? Um, he likes where flowers. Is Sirianni. Is that his he, name? That's his name. Yeah. He's not on the list. He <laughs> Did he get is... voted in? <laughs> I can't find him on here. Okay, well, Urban Meyer's probably number one because the ladies like to dance with Urban. No, Urban Meyer is not number one. I don't want you to ever talk like that ever again. He he likes to dance. What about uh, McDermott from... uh, There you go. Now you're getting up there. He's top 15-ish. What do you mean I'm getting up there? <laughs> Top where's five Kip- for you. Oh, Matt LaFleur from Green Bay. is number one. He is the Figured number that. one most attractive head Andy coach Reed. Where's in the NFL. Reed? Where's Andy Reid? Higher than expected. Oh, God. Andy Reid is above Sean Payton in this list and above what? Frank Reich, who I think has a lot of charm Frank about Reich's him. Frank Reich's old. Frank Reich is a, is a charming individual. Well, that's fine, but I thought this was attractive. It is. <laughs> I don't know. He's got a little, little something to him. Um, Matt LaFleur is at number one. Please tell me Campbell's number two. Brian Flores, number two, most attractive head coach in the NFL. He's a good looking dude. Robert Sala, number three. Cliff Kingsbury, number four. Mike Tomlin, number five on the most attractive individuals. And then Sean McVay, Mike Vrabel. Kevin Stefanski is the one that's underrated on this list. Kevin Stefanski, very, very attractive young man. Sounds strange. I wish I'd never said that on the radio. I would appreciate you saying (laughs) attractive young man. He's got that salt and pepper look, man. If I ever go gray, I hope it looks like Kevin Stefanski's hair. Clip that for later. By the way, have you ever seen Mike Zimmer's girlfriend? What? (laughs) What? I'm serious. Wait, where's Mike Zimmer on this list? Google Mike Zimmer girlfriend. And Mike Zimmer is at number 29 on this list. Good God. The (laughs) Maxim model? Yeah. He's dating a And they say money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah, uh, it's surprising. Mike Zimmer, the guy who had the, the eye that was infected last year, he had to get surgery on it. He's like 65 or something. Um, he has a very attractive girlfriend. Oh, this is a good point. This is on Reddit. There's This is just people putting like blatant jokes on there. I don't know, man. I think this is real. Like if I'm going to vote on something of the most attractive head coach in the NFL, I would probably vote Bill Belichick because that's hilarious. He wasn't that high, though. He's top 10. (laughs) The man who wears hoodies 24-7 was top 10. Showed up to a press conference looking like he literally just got beat up in an hour. The man who (laughs) talks like this 24-7 was top 10. Yeah. Yeah. This is is all a joke. Uh, I don't know. Or Campbell. That's his name. Campbell. Campbell. Why, Campbell. You, why, why can't you say like Campbell? Dan Campbell uh-huh. was right after Pete Carroll. Yeah. So it goes what? Stefanski, Bill Belichick, <laughs> Kyle Shanahan, Pete Carroll, Dan Campbell. Yeah, this is a joke. Pete Carroll, I, he's got something going for the him. The gum for chopper? What, 70 he's years a, old? He's an energetic old man. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's defined if he ends uh, attractiveness. Up getting fired, I think he should go back to college. 70 years old, he's still got it, man. Well, hell, for this list, he should go start being a model. <laughs> Apparently. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's VK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I know when you guys tuned in today, that was the first thing you were expecting to hear. Coming up next. I was. Did the Rangers just make a huge mistake? I don't think so. Seems like a lot of people think they did, though. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN.
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario one ESPN. Did the Texas Rangers just make a huge mistake? That seems to be the overall theory from a lot of people after they gave out massive contracts to both Marcus Simeon and then yesterday signing Corey Seager to a 10-year deal worth more than $300 million. Here's what Randy Carricker had to say about it earlier today. They won 60 games last year. They added one mid-level starting pitcher. And granted, you took care of your middle infield for next year. But Corey Seager's 28. Marcus Simeon is 32. In six years for Simeon, he'll be 37. Seager will be 35. I just have trouble believing that these contracts are going to wind up working out well for the Rangers. Six years from now, it might be a disaster, Alex. It absolutely might be for both the Marcus Simeon deal and the Corey Seager deal. And I still think they should have done it. If I'm a fan of the Texas Rangers today, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled about the idea that we just locked up what is going to be the best middle infield potentially for the next three to five years. And now we build around it. Are they going to be good next year? My guess is no. They, they won't be competing with the top of the division next season and maybe not for the next couple of years. But this is a starting point. You've got a 31-year-old stud who I get to go out there and watch every uh, every day at the ballpark next year at, at second base. And then a stud at shortstop and Corey Seager, who, yeah, maybe down the road he's got to move over to third or he's going to be a DH for me. But he absolutely mashes the baseball. And I get to watch him for the next 10 years. That sounds awesome. If I'm a Rangers fan, I'm super excited about it. Now, you got to go out there and continue to build around this. They need to add more starters. Their pitching is awful. But right now, their payroll is at just $128 million. They've still got flexibility to go do more. If they don't, then shame on them for not doing so. But as of here and now, I think this was a great idea by them. I know it's a ton of money, and they are potentially going to hurt in 2028 as a result. I'll figure that out when we get there. But for the here and now, I think this was a good deal by them. I think it was really smart to bring in Corey Seager. I think it's an interesting deal. I don't know if it's a good deal because you don't have a team that's competitive enough, I I don't think. Like, you have good players, but I don't know if you're looking at a team that's, oh, yeah, they can compete now for a World Series. They can't next year. And I was thinking about this. If you're a fan and the strategy from the Texas Rangers, at least the last couple of years, has been, you know, having decent team but you're going for a top draft pick to try and restart right it's the rebuild are you happy about this like yeah you're pumped that you got Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon they're going to be fun to watch and you're probably going to go to games but if you were hoping that you were starting to build something now seems like the wrong time to do it why because you're getting these two guys who are in the prime of their careers who could help you win a world series But you don't have anybody else who's in the prime of their careers. You're still in the starting stage of building something with the Texas Rangers. Build around these guys. That's my thing. But you got three years of building around these guys, and then they're going to start to fade away. The the problem for me is I don't think the guys that you have in your system, if you're the Rangers in this in this case, is I don't think they're going to be ready to be at that level of. Seeger and Simeon until you're about that third year into that deal. And so then we just punt on the next two years. Like I, I keep throwing out teams that are going to lose a hundred no, games. I'm not saying punt on the year because as a fan, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because like those are two guys worth seeing. You have probably one of the best infields in the American league for this upcoming season. Heck maybe in baseball, but if you're the Texas Rangers, it just seems odd that you're making this push now when you don't have anything else to sit behind it and say, yeah, these guys are going to help us win a World Series. Here's why you do it. These are premier free agents. We're not talking about good players that are always available. You might not have anybody on the market next offseason that is as good as Corey Seager is right now. 
And in terms of what you have right now with Marcus Simeon, I'm not sure you're going to have another free agent available at that spot that can play the way that Marcus Simeon does. Now, five years from now, is Simeon going to be the same player? My guess would be no. He's 31 years old right now. The last two to three years on this deal very well might hurt for the Rangers. And that's what you have to live with when you sign these kinds of deals. But if you're going to go get the premier free agents and you're doing so here in the next year or two, I think it makes all the sense in the world to get these guys in now. Go ahead and see if they are culture fits for your team. You would have to imagine they're going to be. And by the way, if you're looking at their top six prospects in their system, one, two of them debuted last year in the big leagues. Two of them are scheduled to debut this year, and two of them are scheduled to debut the year after in 2023. Their prospects are coming at the top of their their organization. Almost, I mean, it's possible all six could be up by the end of this upcoming season. And now you're really pushing for 2023 and 2024. At that point in time, you'll have a 30-year-old Corey Seager. You'll have a 33-ish-year-old Marcus Simeon. That's still the prime of both of their careers. You could have a really good team around them. I want my team to try. I'm so sick of seeing so many teams around baseball going into a season where you know they're going to suck and there's nobody on the team worthy of going to watch. Like Wilson Contreras, it sounds like, might be traded this offseason. If I'm a Cubs fan... Why in the world do I care about them next year? What's the point of going to baseball games? They have Jan Gomes. Sweet. That's awesome. Hey, Frank have... Schwindel Fridays is going to be awesome. They have Ian Happ. Patrick They've got Wisdom. nothing. Patrick if I'm a Wisdom. Pirates fan today, I don't why know am I on that team? Why, Yoshi, uh, Su- why do Su- I. Su- Su- oh, he's awesome. Why am I going to go out there and watch them on a day to day basis? I, I want my team to try. And the Rangers, credit to them, man. They are trying right now. And if this doesn't work out, so be it. But I I, I want my team favorite team to go out there and make some big moves like this if they can. I and like, they clearly can. I like seeing teams try. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a supporter of rebuilding no, and everybody tanking. But I think there are times where teams do have to enter a rebuild, and it felt like Texas was going through that route or going towards that stage. I mean, they traded Joey Gallo this past season. Imagine if Joey Gallo was on this team still. And then they made these moves. I mean, you're talking about one of the best lineups you, in all of baseball. You moved on from you, Darvish, and Lance Lynn. Like, yeah, a couple of years ago. That was to start out this build. I, I mean, it was the, two years ago with you, Darvish, he won the Cy Young. Yeah, and now he stinks. Like, he, he was terrible last year for the Padres. My, That's the thing about pitching. If they did this with pitchers, I would not be saying the same thing. If they did this with Robbie Ray and uh, Gro, uh, Gross Gossman, I would be saying that's a terrible move by them to sign five to six year deals for starting pitchers this early in the build. But building around position players is smart because more often than not, they can sustain their play. Simeon's the question mark. I, I don't know what he's going to look like five years. I from think now, if you sign but, one of these guys is exciting. But the fact that you're dropping four hundred million dollars on these two guys, I just you're going to have some elite talent. And but they have two no guys. other guys that cost them anything right now. They're a blank slate. All of their other players are either pre-arbitration or arbitration eligible. But it just seems like you're stuck in the middle of making these decisions. Do you want to have this youth that, take the next step, or do you want to go out there and spend money that, and get all of it? That's my that's my thing what about this. Is that so? To me, you're spending. So the deal for Seager's ten and the deal for Simeon's seven. Mm-hmm. We're saying about year five of Simeon's probably about maybe when it could get ugly. Maybe year three. Who knows? Seager, I would expect probably year seven. So I don't think this year they can compete. I don't know about next year they'll be able to compete. They'll probably be more competitive next year. I still don't know if they'll be one of the favorites. You're talking about two years before you're in a winning window. I get it that this is the exciting move to make. I just don't know if I would have done it with two guys. I probably would have done one, and then next offseason, if I felt like we needed to add that other piece because of something, then I would have done it. That That's my biggest thing is because 
Seager's probably the guy I would have done. Simeon 100%. is the biggest question mark, and the years in terms on that one is the it's biggest question risk. mark. But I, I just don't think you're going to – because the whole point of a big contract like this is – I think we've brought this up before when we talked about the Pujols deal was you knew the back end of those deals were going to hurt. So you have to maximize the front end of those deals. When the Angels gave it to Pujols, it was, okay, we're – we're, we're, ready to him. we're ready to compete. We've got Trout. We've got these pieces. I think the Rangers believe they can compete by 2023. But that's Whether what, they're right, wrong. But that's two years. And to me, that is, or, sorry, that's a year. But to me, yeah. I don't think they're there. I, I think yeah. they're two years away. I think they're three and or think, four years away. Maybe, but what if they go that, start? That's a waste to me. And you're that contract. And you're paying big bucks for guys that you are may really be maximizing. Good. You're maxing. You're, you're getting those guys. Watch. But what's the difference in three years from now where you can drop $200 million on a guy where you feel like we're ready to compete and make that move? Well, at that point, you're into year four of this Marcus Simeon deal. You only have three years remaining. At that point in time, we don't know what the, the financials are going to look like for baseball. Like, Right now, their estimated payroll for next year, the Texas Rangers, is $128 million. That's nothing, guys. Texas is one of the biggest markets in, in baseball. If they want to get that up to 190 they can like that. And they have nothing else committed to their books for the next few years. Their biggest deals right now on the books are all of the free agent signings that they've made this offseason. It's Seager, Simeon, John Gray, and Cole Calhoun. Those are their biggest contracts on the books for this upcoming year. And Cole Calhoun is a one-year deal. They have nobody else committed for at least $5 million in 2023 or beyond. If they want to go out there and sign another big free agent next offseason, they can. If they want to go out there this offseason and sign two or three more starting pitchers, they can. Go ahead and go sign Zach Greinke to give them innings this year. They could easily be competitive. And if they expand the playoffs to seven teams, the Rangers could get in next year. Uh, see, I just don't see that happening unless they go out there and I spend th- money on starting pitching. I think pitching. if it gets expanded like you. that, it, it can. They're taking the same approach that the Padres took a couple of years ago. And the reason the Padres one didn't work is because they didn't have pitching. And, and they're they trying signed, to do it now. They signed Eric Cosmer, who was an average hitter in the major but, uh, leagues, to uh, a yeah, massive I, contract. They I'm signed saying, the wrong dudes. I, well, that's what I'm saying is this is the same approach, though. It's we're going to get two guys that we think are going to be our stars. We're going to hope on banking on a kid coming through the system. Then it's just going to be, can we get the pitching to catch up? The Padres have not been able to do that yet. That's what they've been doing these past couple of off-seasons. I just think you're trying to jump ahead in the game of of building a contender. And when you do that, you're going to miss some pieces along the way, and you're going to be behind other teams. Maybe, but these guys said yes. That's the other thing. It's not the easiest. of course they did. They're getting the money. Uh, Yeah, but that doesn't always happen. A lot of the times, other teams are willing to outbid you, or they just don't want to come play for Texas for whatever reason, or they don't want to come play for the Cardinals. They want to go to New York or San Diego or L.A. or whatever, right? These players said yes to come to play for your money that you were willing to hand them. Take it. If I can get elite players, they have maybe the best second baseman in, in baseball and what, one of the three to four best shortstops in baseball right now? And you just added that to your team right now. For the next five years, those guys, three to five years, those guys are going to be really good. I just want to go, I want to go be good. <laughs> like, I want my team to have the opportunity to win big. And these guys give you that opportunity. Is it going to work? I have no idea, man. I, I have no clue. But I'm always in favor of these teams at least going out to the market and trying. The Rangers are trying. There's 20 teams out there right now that aren't. And there are 20 teams that are in a similar spot to where the Rangers are. And they're saying to themselves, eh, we're good with being a 75-win team. The Rangers are trying to get to 90 in the next couple of seasons. They might not get there next year. They probably won't get there next year. They're probably closer to a 75-win team. But they're at least giving themselves the opportunity to be set up in 2023. Maybe next year's the year that they go after their big time pitchers, or they have somebody coming through their system. That's going to be a good pitcher, or maybe they make a trade with somebody for one. I don't know how they're going to be able to make this thing work, but 
the Padres made their bets. I think they made one of those bets on the wrong guy. They bet on Eric Cosmer. It hasn't worked. It was never going to work for that kind of money. The question really is, did they make their bets on the right guys? Simeon's really good. Corey Seager has maybe the highest ceiling of any of the shortstops that were available this offseason. The way I just look at it is I think Texas is in a similar spot as some of the lower teams. Like I think Pittsburgh is much worse than them, but they're, they're both kind of in that rebuild scenario and if the pirates were the team that went out and spent this well, money on these two players because they don't have the money to to add around them that's the biggest thing to me that the, the rangers have a history of spending but if they don't add around them if they sit there and yeah, say this we'll is criticize it them. If, yeah. if five years from now their payroll is still sitting at 130 million dollars people should crush them because then they, they have failed they failed their fans they failed their team they failed their organization but and, and someone someone texted in and said Alex what's the difference between what the Cardinals or what the Cardinals did with Arnado and Goldschmidt versus the Rangers with Seager and Simeon the difference is the Cardinals felt they can compete and I don't know if the Rangers believe they can compete this season yeah I just I, I don't want teams because they're not sure if they're going to be able to compete in that year to say you know what we're punting on a seven to ten year contract. I, I'm I'm totally with you with that. There's a difference between trying to compete and making signings of players that can help with that to be a team that gets in, or a team that drops four hundred million dollars on players that might not do anything for them. It, we'll get out of here on this. Would you guys have been okay with them getting a guy like Kyle Schwarber? Or Nick Castellanos on like a three or four year deal? Would that have made sense to you? Because I think that would have been the exact wrong way for them to go about no, it. No, I, I think if you're a team like Texas, it doesn't make sense to do the three, four year deal with kind of that, an impact bat, but kind of the lower end of the impact bat market compared to a Seager and them because you're not going to be able to trade that two, three, four year deal. If they did like a one year, if let's say Schwarber's market came down, he signed a one year deal in Texas. I'd say absolutely. That makes all the sense in the world because they're probably not going to compete. What does that do? You basically sign a guy knowing you're going to trade him and hopefully gain back prospects. So it was either sign the guys to the one year deals or go really big. Like they did. I don't think you could settle for the in-between. And that's where I'm at. If you were going to, if you're going to punt, if you weren't going to sign these guys, then you're punting on this year. And I, I don't want, I want fewer teams to be punting on individual seasons. I think that's bad for the sport. I think that's bad for the fans. So I, I'm happy that there is a team like the Rangers that's willing to do this. I have no idea if it'll work. They've got to get a bunch of evaluations right from here. But it's a good start, and they're going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch in that middle infield. So kudos to the the Rangers from, from my perspective, and I, I hope we see more teams follow this moving forward. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, let's play a game of bet it or forget it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, though, we'll talk to our guy Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining the show. JR, what's going on, man? Oh, doing really well. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing all right. So the news today for the Blues is that it looks like Tyler Bozak is going on the COVID list. What does this mean for the lineup tonight? Yeah, the Blues sent out an email last night saying that we were going back to the Zoom for interviews, and my very first thought was, oops, somebody, uh, somebody's going on the COVID list. Uh, this has become an issue with the Blues. We all know they went through it early on in the, in the season, and now they're going through it potentially again, at least with one player, Tyler Bozak. So 
with uh, regard to tonight's game, it looks like, unless uh, any moves happen this afternoon, that they're going to uh, play the Tampa Bay Lightning with just 11 forwards and seven defensemen. So I would expect you'll see a fourth line of uh, Dakota Joshua. Logan Brown's going to make his Blues debut and then they'll probably just rotate somebody down on that fourth line. And then, and then of course, you'll have seven defensemen. JR, on the defensive side, I'm curious your thoughts on this because it, it does seem like Colton Pareko has struggled in the month of November. Marco Scandella has struggled in the month of November. And I'm not sure if this is correlated, but we've seen a lot of platooning on the defensive side with Mike Van Ryan of switching things up with defensive pairings and not having the same guy for the entire game. Do you feel like that's tied in at all? I think it's been difficult uh, for the Blues for a couple of reasons. First of all, Colton Perico, you need him to be a number one. And, and I think, you know, for whatever reason, he's had uh, several lapses uh, with his play. I think Scandella has played uh, below par. Uh, you know, the way I look at it, Scandella's not a top pair defenseman. The Blues are kind of pushed in that direction to play him there because they really don't have anybody else who fits there because you want to keep Tory Krug and Justin Falk together. And then everybody, you know, including myself, has hung on the fact that Pareko and Scandella played well in the past. But the bottom line, as I said, he's just not a 20, 22-minute-per-game player. So now you find himself, uh, he finds himself in the third pair uh, lately and uh, could have been scratched tonight if it weren't for the fact that Tyler Bozak is out. So they go seven defensemen, and now Craig Bruby says that Scandella will play tonight. So to me, the Blues haven't had a ton of options. You know, I asked Craig Bruby today about Nico Mikola and how he's looked with Pareko on that top pair. I know you guys touched on it earlier in the show. You know, I've liked him, and to me, he gives you a little bit more. Is it going to take some time? For sure it is. But uh, to me, the mixing and matching on the defensive pairs is just a result of, uh, you know, this, this Blues defense you know, has a hole in it, and, and I think they're going to have to address it at some point. Do they have the ability to do that internally with Mikola, or do you think this is going to take a, a trade at some point? I think they have, you know, guys like Mikola and potentially Scott Prinovich. It's just that they're so green right now. And so I don't think if you're a true contender, unless you just see a stretch of 20, 25 games where, you know, Mikola really asserts himself or they, or they put a uh, Prinovich up there and he just plays well for a long stretch. You know, I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm just saying that, you know, if you want to play with the big boys and you want to get into rounds two and three of the playoffs, you know, I would like, uh, if I'm a Blues fan, to, to look at the defense and be able to count on that situation happening as opposed to wishing for it. Jared, what do you think happens with Jake Wallman? I, I don't know how many consecutive games this is now that he's been scratched, but it feels like it's been about five or six. Yeah, he, he's been out for a stretch here. And, and look, he had a, a really good opportunity. Third defensive pair played up the lineup a little bit early on in the season, you know, but had some hiccups. So he found himself as a healthy scratch recently. A lot of people... And understandably so, we're saying, you know, why can't you move a defenseman, whether it's putting Jake Wallman on waivers and, and freeing up a spot so you can call up a forward? Because, you know, not just tonight, but the next couple nights, unless they make a move, they'd have to play with 11 forwards. So you can't continue to carry eight defensemen, I think, is what everybody's saying. But we just don't know what they have in the works or who they're talking to and, and maybe potentially making a trade. For example, let's say you're thinking about trading Marco Scandella. Maybe there's a potential deal out there. Uh, well, you, you try to send Jake Wallman down, you lose him on waivers. You know, now can you trade Scandella? You're out Scandella, and you're also out Jake Wallman. Uh, so I think there's things that we just have to understand that we might not be uh, aware of. Uh, but, you know, if push comes to shove, I think they're going to have to do something with Jake Wallman. It's just not possible to carry eight 
defensemen, especially when uh, they're limited up front right now. JR, without while acknowledging the injuries and the COVID issues, I'm going to put that on the side here for a minute as a disclaimer. Yes, I understand all of that is part of this conversation. Why have the Blues been so maddeningly inconsistent this year? Well, the injuries and the COVID, no, I'm joking. (laughs) 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 You put that disclaimer on there. You know, I just think that it kind of goes back to the defense. And when I say defense, you always put the um, qualifier on there. It's also the forwards getting back and helping out. But to me, we went into the season knowing that uh, this defense had some areas that you were a little bit concerned about. And one of them we just touched on was, you know, that top pairing. You know, is Colton Pareko going to be healthy? Well, it looks like he's healthy, but, you know, just not playing like you'd hope. And then who's going to play with him? Can it be Scandella? If not, who's it going to be? Um, you know, I think the second pair has been fine when healthy Krug and, and Falk have been good. And then you know, the third pairing, you know, depending on who's in there, Bortuzzo, Scandella, Wallman, Mikola, you know, it's it's just not, you know, what you need every night. And then uh, Bennington has been good on some nights. In fact, great on some nights uh, and other nights uh, he, he's let it in. So um, to me, why they've been so maddening is stopping the puck getting the puck out of the zone and, and working together to get the puck up ice. You can talk about the forwards coming in waves and forechecking and stuff like that, but none of that happens if you can't get the puck out of your zone. And so to me, uh, whether it's looks like there's a lack of effort some nights or looks like they're not playing the system, uh, to me it kind of starts in that D zone. JR, you had a recent piece talking with uh, a couple of scouts about Vladimir Tarasenko. I thought it was a phenomenal piece. People should check it out. But but where are you at right now in terms of Vladimir Tarasenko as his play, his health, and the uh, request of the trade that he had in the offseason? Yeah, Alex, you know, I think he's played pretty well for the most part. And now a lot of people are going to say seven games without a goal. The shooting percentage is 8.5%. You know, that's below his, his career average of 12.5% shooting a lot of pucks into the chest of the goaltender. The accuracy just doesn't look like it's there, and perhaps that's from you know all the wear and tear on the shoulder. Look, all those things can and, and could be true, but I think we've seen a better Vladimir Tarasenko this year than we've obviously seen the 34 games or whatever he's played the past couple of years. You know, I think we see a guy who's, who's given effort. I think we see a guy who's on the back check. So to me, uh, you know, it doesn't quite look like the shot's there, but the power moves to the net and and the determination I think has been there on most nights, you know, where does it sit with the trade request? Like I wrote the other day, it's been fairly quiet on that front. You know, you watch the games. He looks like he's having fun. Craig Bruby's commented on a couple times. You know, he looks like he's happy to be here. You know, I I wrote the other day that uh, the trade request, you know, as far as I know, but this goes back uh, somewhat is that that was still something that he wanted. Has that changed in the last three, four weeks? Has there been a, a change of heart? He wants to stay here with the Blues. That could be the case. I, you know, I'm willing to admit that you know, day-to-day it's hard to keep up with what a player wants. Uh, but again, you know, early on in the season, he still wanted the trade. So we'll see. You know, the bottom line is, in talking to the scouts for that piece, one of them said he looks like the old Vladdy. So uh, I think that if there was a trade, and depending on what Doug Armstrong was willing to do to facilitate the trade and, and also the other team, you know, potentially that's there. Is it during this season or is it this summer? I don't know. The Blues will have to cross that road when they find out uh, if there's a possible possible deal there. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find that piece. It is well worth your time over at The Athletic. Give him a follow on Twitter as well. You'll see the link on his Twitter account, at J.P. Rutherford. JR, always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk with you again next week.
Yep, thanks, boys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Blues versus Lightning on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN tonight at 7 o'clock. Alex will have your pregame coverage coming up at 6. Before we get into bet it or forget it on the other side, 65780 is here, comfort service text line. Alex, I, I know I've made this comparison before, but I asked him about the inconsistencies from the Blues. It just reminds me so much of last year because it, it, it's a lot of the same issues. It's the injuries. It's the COVID. It's, it's all of that that are coming into effect. Last year, they started the season seven and two and one. This year, started the season seven, two and one through 21 game or yeah, 21 games last year, 11, eight and two this year through 21 games, 11, seven and three. It's eerily similar the way they started out so hot, the way that they came to a grinding halt, and then they just weren't able to get through that last year. They were never able to break through the midseason point was when things really went poorly for them Uh, right after this portion of the schedule. They went through a, a really rough stretch where they were losing a bunch of games against Anaheim and Vegas, L.A. It was ugly. Uh, those were the games that I was in for uh, while you were out, Alex. How do they avoid that that this year? How do they make sure that that doesn't happen this time around? Well, I mean, it comes down to what Craig Bruby has talked about. They got to knuckle down and they got to play 60 minutes of the style of hockey. He said it after that game the other night against Columbus. He said that uh, it's a hard thing to do night in and night out to play that style of hockey, but it's not hard to work for 60 minutes. And frankly, that's how you get yourself out of this rut. They've been unable to string two wins together since the five-game win Mm. streak. And, you know, the problem has not been scoring goals. I know people are going right to that. They've been about a middle of the pack this season in the month of November scoring three goals problem is the amount of goals that they're allowing they're allowing 3.7 goals per game which is top 10 in the National Hockey League in terms of worst so that has to be corrected and it's like what JR said you can look at Jordan Bennington which has to be better but there have been games he's stolen the game I think if you're going to talk about anything it's the five-man unit right now play in front of the goaltender that needs to be halted and it starts with Colton Pareko and Marco frustrating that we're talking about it again well and think about it too and you never use it as an excuse and I don't use it as an excuse because there have been other teams that have dealt with more injuries and more guys out because of COVID, but think about the guys you've lost. Brandon Saad, Ryan O'Reilly, Tory Krug, now Tyler Bozak. These are important guys on the defensive side. Yeah, I I just can't do it this year. No, I'm um, not going to do it this year. <laughs> Last year, I, I was more willing to listen to it, especially early in the season. Later on, once they started getting healthy again, it was tough for me to, to listen to those. Whether you call them excuses or explanations, because they are legit, legitimate explanations as well. This year it's tough because there's so many teams out there that are dealing with worse right now than the Blues are. So. Yeah, Colorado's without there, and they've strung like seven wins in a row together. Yeah, Got to get this back on track, and it starts tonight against Tampa Bay. Not an easy thing to do. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it here on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. There's that energy you were looking for, Alex. Yeah, well, it's here and and there. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start out with this one. Bet it or forget it. The fact that Carlos Correa is still on the board means that the Cardinals are likely going to be in the sweet spot and they're going to sign him this offseason. Sweet spot? I thought it said sweat spot where they're not going to sign him. (laughs) Very different. Um... I'm going to bet this one. You think they're going to sign Carlos Correa? I'm going to stand by it. Okay. I think you're going to see a big surprise from the Cardinals. 
I, I mean, it would be a lot of fun. I don't know if I even can believe that. I you, said you it. Can't. I don't believe How it in my soul. here? Guy, literally 24 hours ago, there's no shot we have this conversation. BK this morning sends us a text in the group chat. Guys, it would be fun if the Cardinals signed Carlos Correa. And I'm like, boy, somebody's been playing MLB the show. And then he comes into work today and just starts saying, hey, we're going to sign Carlos Correa. There's no we here. The Cardinals will do it. I'm not part of the Cardinals. Are you sure? Are <laughs> we sure? Yeah. I'll say I'm part that. of the Cardinals. Forget it. They're not signing Carlos Correa. Sorry. Don't want to bring everybody down on an exciting Tuesday. What do you think it would take? For like, Correa? That, that's the thing that I'm really confused by right now is... I think he's deserving and should and probably will get 10 years and $300 million or more, but I don't know who's giving it to him. That's what's so hard for me right now. And maybe this is just me like not understanding the dynamics of what these negotiations look like right now, but there's nobody that's super obvious. The team was the Tigers. They needed the, they needed that player. He fit with their manager. Culturally, it made a lot of sense. Um, And they have the money to be able to spend there. They've spent in the past and they just went and got Javi Baez instead for half the price. So I, I just don't know who the team is going to be. That's going to give him that $300 million he's looking for. Like somebody will, but I, I right now I could not place a bet I, on who it's going to be. I think it's going to be someone that catches us off guard. If I had to bet, it's going to be someone that like not the Yankees. It's not going to be Seattle, which seem to me to be the two teams that are still in the shortstop market. I think it's going to be someone that surprises us, and I know that I'm saying that, and the first name is going to come to a lot of people's minds is the Cardinals. I don't think they're going to be players in that either. I think it's going to be somebody that maybe wants to take that next step. Maybe it's Philly. Philly seems like a team that would be – I mean, I know they've got Gregorius, but he can shift to second. And their payroll's already at almost $175 million. Yeah. That's the thing. is like they're, they're getting into the luxury tax, and we don't – Maybe this is part of the negotiations and why teams are waiting right now because they don't know where that luxury tax is going to be. But who, buddy, they have not signed any pitching yet, and they're already close to 175. I'm just trying to think of a dark horse, a team that, but like some of these teams that I think of dark horses, I just don't know where you, like the White Sox, no to me, horses. they could afford to make this move, but where would you put them? Yeah, yeah. you don't need and them. And he's a shortstop. Like yeah. with Javi Baez or Trevor Story, maybe they would consider, and Marcus Simeon certainly. Like Boston's not going to get it because they got Sander Bogarts. Toronto's not doing that. Cleveland's not doing it. Detroit's not doing it now. Seattle is the one that we considered. The Angels, we consider. And don't forget, there's two of them because there's yeah. Trevor Story as well who's still out there. So, like, even I, if Seattle gets into this mix, I think they're much yeah. more likely to sign I Story I don't see than Philly Correa. doing it. Don't see the Mets doing it. Don't see uh, Miami might be one of those dark horse teams, especially after acquiring Jacob Stallings from Pittsburgh. They're going for it. Yeah. Washington's not doing it. Milwaukee's not doing it. I don't see Cincinnati, the Cubs, or Pittsburgh doing it. And then you got the Dodgers, who I think the Dodgers are focusing more on the second base, first base side than they're worrying about the shortstop side. San Francisco, San Diego, Colorado. How about Colorado saying that they would like to have Trevor Story back? At this point? Honestly, though, I mean, it would make congrats, sense if it comes Colorado. down to a one-year yeah. deal. There's why no not way he it? goes back there. He would come to St. Louis for less money on a one-year deal than go back to Colorado oh, on a one-year deal. I don't doubt he would do it, but would the Cardinals bring him in? For That's a one-year deal? Well, yeah. if you're telling me that they maybe the Cardinals viewed as Paul DeYoung and Trevor Story is not that much of an upgrade. Are you really going to go get him for a one-year deal? I think you do if you're Colorado because I think Nolan Arenado is the one that's going to him saying, look, you got to sign this guy. Somebody said, what about Houston? They're just not doing $300 million. And he already turned down Houston. Yeah, they, they offered him three years and it was like, or it was five years, 150. That was their their last most significant offer they were willing to give. Right now, there's about four teams, I think, that are in on Carlos Correa. And, and I, I just... If I'm going to put those teams in it, I got to put the Cardinals in consideration because of the spot that's open to them. I think I'm with you. I, I don't think they'll do it. 
But if you trade, like if they traded Paul DeYoung to the Yankees, that opens up $6 million on your payroll. And for this upcoming season, that essentially means there's a gap of $24 million that you've got to cover to get to the Carlos Correa salary or at least something close to it. They could add $24 million in payroll. Yeah. It wouldn't be totally stunning to me. Yeah. But they've actually got to do it. And ten, the 10 years is what gets me. I think they, if this was a six or seven year I deal, say, I think they might do it. And I wonder if it comes down to that. I wonder if Correa opts to go to the six or seven year deal. Because I don't know. I mean, we saw what? One 10 year deal handed out yeah, I, out of all of those shortstops available. I don't see Trevor Story getting a 10 year deal. If he was going to do that, I think he would be more likely to sign like a one-year deal or a seven-year deal with an opt-out oh, after the yeah. first year. I could see that like happening. We've seen a lot of opt-outs, and I'm sure the Cardinals would be in for the opt-outs. Yeah, uh, on something like that, absolutely. Yeah, if he has opt-outs in it, yeah, definitely jump on board. I, I still think he'll get ten years, though. But it just seems harder to pick that team. Yeah, I don't know because if Seager's getting ten, and I know Seager probably has more upside. Correa right now is better the player. better player. There's only two teams I think that could give him a ten-year deal. I think it's Seattle, and I think it's the Cardinals. <laughs> It's all about willingness. They could do it. If they want to do it, they can. But it's about the willingness and also what that means for other guys. Like, that means you're not re-signing Jack Flaherty. If, if you get Carlos Correa on a 10-year deal, that means right now you know Jack Flaherty's not a part of our future. Boy, I am really trying to convince myself that this isn't a thing, but it is really hard to do that. Coming up next, let's cross things over with the fast lane. We'll ask them what they think about it on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. things over with the fast lane we've got anthony stalter in studio with us stalts what's going on man everything's good how are you boys doing well we signed uh carlos correa today oh yeah no, no, coming no, to not, st louis you not, decided not really? we now we just him okay well, it's gonna be great would you give him like 340 million dollars okay it's great yeah it's, it's easy, easy to spend shortstop for us it's easy to spend bill uh, dewitt's money no it's problem great. okay i'm not gonna fight you on it so here's the thing i'm i'm half joking where is he going I thought the right. Tigers, I, the only that thing like that I felt dunk. like we knew going into the offseason when it came to free agents was, okay, well, Carlos Correa is going to end up with the Tigers. What are the other guys that are at the top of this list going to do? Sure. Well, now the Tigers have been committed to Javi Baez. The, he signed a $140 million deal there. Okay, well, the Rangers. The Rangers were the obvious pivot plan for Correa if, if, they're not gonna, if he's not going to end up in Detroit. Well, they not just they not only signed one guy signed two middle infielders over the last few days. Right. So they're off of the list as well. Somebody's going to sign him to a massive contract. And he's going to be worth every penny of it because he's an outstanding player. I don't know who that team is right now. Like I look across the league. I legitimately don't know where he's going to end up right now. It's either going to be one of those, those big spenders that were like, okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. The Dodgers, the Dodgers might be planning Life after Trey Turner. If they can't, if they can't re-sign Trey Turner to be their their shortstop, maybe they just pony up. The Yankees still need a shortstop. Maybe maybe they're the team that that ponies up. Although, you know, that's a tough sell inside that clubhouse because of the 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 spy the whatever you want to call it, not the the trash can gate, right? And of course, he ticked off the fan base with his comments of about Derek Jeter. And Dodgers, so, same thing. Dodgers so, were the team that they played in the World Series sure. that year. The only thing there is that, okay, a lot of those players are no longer there, so maybe that's a, that's an easier sell. Or it's going to be a complete – it's going to be a complete surprise. Like the Cubs. 
the Cubs say we're gonna we're gonna give him all kinds of money and he he'll be the centerpiece of a rebuild. Yeah. Or maybe there's another team that does have cash that's not ready to contend right now, but they decide to pony up because they're kind of looking for the future. Or maybe he just goes back to Houston. I Houston seems I, I've got a buddy down there that covers the team. They seem completely uninterested in going more than like five and one fifty. Like I, I think they if this came back to them, I think they'd be totally down for a short-term deal. But it sounds like it's kind of a Cardinals type of situation where the Cardinals are typically like, hey, you want eight years? Uh, that's not in our range. We, yeah. we don't we don't go that far on these types of deals unless you're Nolan Arenado when we trade for the contract. I, I'm not saying that the Cardinals are going to sign Carlos Correa. I would bet against it. I'm saying that the Cardinals make as much sense as any of these other teams that we're talking about right now to sign Carlos Correa. I think your main point is is just in that where where is he going to go based on the fact that you had A.J. Hinch in Detroit. You, it was easy to connect the dots, and now Javi Baez goes to Detroit for six years and 140. And I think that's a, that's a pretty smart move for a Tigers team that doesn't want to necessarily break the, break the bank right away, but that team was better, I think, than than a lot of people expected a year ago. They're, they're still a long way from contending, but that division isn't great. You got Chicago at the top, and then you got a couple of couple of teams. You know, Kansas City's not a contender. Cleveland has taken a step back over the years, and they're not willing to spend. So Detroit is kind of looking at the situation. We're not going to spend 300, 300 plus million on Correa, but we will give one forty to Bias. But to your main point, okay, well, who now is left for Carlos Correa? I th- I think it's going to be a surprise team like the Cubs. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. It I, it makes as much sense as anything else because as I look around the league right now, I just I don't see the obvious landing spot. I, I think the Yankees make a ton of sense for a million different reasons, but everything that's been reported seemingly suggests they're not in on that t- that that market of the shortstops. I also think it makes sense for all of these teams to just wait on Correa because if the luxury tax changes, yeah. if the CBA is is implemented and they sign something and then you find out, okay, well, for the Yankees, it actually isn't all that um, punitive, punitive for them to sign Correa. Okay, now suddenly they make a lot more sense for sure. him. So um, it'll be interesting to see what ends up coming out of that. I have been a little surprised. I thought there was going to be more activity today. We haven't really seen a whole lot take place so far. I wonder if more happens either during your guys' show or after we're off of the air, and then we can talk about it tomorrow. But I, I thought we were going to have a little more activity today. Well, I'm interested, too. Where's where, Okay, where's Trevor Story going? Because you see Javi Baez get 140. Trevor Story was the second oldest shortstop on the market. You know, mm-hmm. you had Marcus Simeon. Brandon Crawford re-upped last year, so Crawford took himself out of the mix or else he would have been the oldest. But Trevor Story is 29. He's he is not he's still in his prime, but when it comes to free agency, his age, I don't think he's going to get much more than Javi Baez. I think that's the deal. I think I think it is too. I think it's very similar. If you're the Cardinals, does that, I would rather do three hundred million dollars for Correa than one hundred and forty for for Story. Wow, I think it's interesting. I think it's totally interesting. I would rather make the massive upgrade at shortstop as opposed to the. I'm pretty sure the story is going to be better than what you have now. I'm not positive on that, though. I don't know what his defense is going to look like over the next five years. I don't know what he's going to look like outside of Coors as a pure power hitter that doesn't get on base a whole lot. Yeah. I, I think I would bet on the 10 years of Correa over the seven or six for 
for Trevor Story. It's understandable. Of course, the Cardinals, you, I think, might view that What you just said is the is the least realistic option, though. They're not gonna They're not going to sign Carrera. What's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Uh, we got Steven Matz coming up at 3.30. So. Nice. Third time today on the station. <laughs> It'll be great. I figured we make it three for three. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, we're, we're going to talk a lot of... A lot of Blues, a lot of Cardinals. We'll get into the NFL. What the hell happened to Russell Wilson? We needed him bad last night. The guy looks disinterested. We lost again to the Riz show because of it. Good Lord, man. I we didn't even put t- in my PA picks this week. So we lost on a tiebreaker. It's like the seventh time this year. It's either come down to Sunday night or Monday night. You're and- not getting shot again, are you? Well, I, I tied BT oh, two weeks ago. So, yeah, I'm getting shot. It's Jamie. Do you even feel it at this point? No, no? it's not. No. It's it's Jamie for we we've got some we've got some backed up butt shots coming oh, here. Well, we feel that our holiday, punishments are holiday like lost again. Holiday lost again this, oh, this past week. Okay, well that makes me feel better, man. Yeah, that's coming up from two to six. Doesn't make we'll me be feel back better. tomorrow at eleven here on one hundred and one ESPN. Stefanski, very very attractive young man.